ladies and gentlemen, our next event of the evening is a one-fall match with a 60-minute time limit. This podcast is a member of the Place to Be Nation family. Visit us at placetobenation.com, the only place to be in your pop culture world. Well, hello, everyone, and uh, welcome to uh, another edition of Where the Big Boys Play. I'm here with uh, Chad, as ever. How are you doing, Chad? Doing pretty good tonight. How are you, Parv? I'm all right. And it's uh, time for the Great American Bash, which means one thing and one thing only on this show. The return of good old Will from Texas. How you doing, buddy? Man, I'm all right, guys. How y'all? <laughs> good. Um, so, uh, yeah, for some, for some reason, Will, you, you, why do you have a, why are you such a mark for the Great American Bash, Will? I loved it as a kid, man. Um, back in 1986, like all you heard about the entire summer. You know, I'm off off out of school for the summer. And I'm watching NWA TV nonstop. I'm watching tons of wrestling nonstop. And you're just pounded over the head with the Great American Bash. Boom, boom, boom. And I, I wanted to go. And I think the card that came to San Antonio that year was actually something like really awesome. You know, like Road Warriors versus Midnight. And, you know, or Rock and Roll versus Midnight's And Road Warriors versus Russians. And Magnum TA and Dusty and Flair and garvin and all these awesome guys and ever since then i've loved the great american bash then plus you know y- y'all reviewed it great american bash 89 was awesome um 88 had some hits and misses 87 had some hits and misses but i love the idea the initial idea of the um, the tour you know kind of like a rock band would have a tour yeah you know and and you know, this was the wrestling tour of the summer, man. I, I just love the idea. And then, you know, the pay-per-views over the years are pretty good. They're pretty fun. So, you know, I, I definitely wanted to be in on this one. And, uh, Chad, do you have any fun memories of when they brought the Great American Bash back a couple of years back? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the uh, great 2004 and 2005 renditions. Yeah. No, I mean, uh, Great American Bash is really a... Uh, a pay-per-view I don't have any fond memories of, period. Because by the time I was a big WCW fan, starting in 94-95, it it wasn't the same. They weren't doing the tour anymore. Uh, They didn't even have a pay-per-view in 94, Great American Bash. And uh, Bash of the Beach would become kind of a bigger show, or like bigger stuff tended to happen on Bash of the Beach, didn't it? Yeah, I think definitely during the NWO era, uh, Great American Bash was overshadowed by Bash at the Beach. So uh, just before we um, get into the review here of Great American Bash 92, um, I have some of the uh, observers, um, and there aren't many this week because if you remember, Chad, the last show we did was a clash. I can't remember the number of the damn clash now, Um, but it was the clash with all the tag team uh, tournament on it. Um, yeah, Clash 19. Clash 19, and that happened um, only a few weeks before this show. Uh, in fact, it was the prelims of 
the tournament that concludes on the Great American Bash uh, 92. Um, so we only have three uh, newsletters to, to look at. Um, and basically, um, at the start of the July 6th edition, um, Buddy Rogers dies. Uh, so a huge amount of that particular newsletter is uh, dedicated to uh, Meltzer's bio, which is one of the things he's always been very good at. So that's a quite a good read, um, the Buddy Rogers uh, bio. But um, it, basically he gets into, you know, they have that uh, poll and they did the poll of the uh, Beach Blast and of Clash of the Champions like head to head. And basically the Observer readers liked both shows. But he says this, he says, um, The poll results showing that most readers enjoy both shows has to be taken as good news. But the bad news is that not nearly enough people viewed each show, with Beach Blast drawing an estimated 0.4 buy rate, which is uh, an estimated 70,000 buys and a 1.4 million gross, um, all three of which are by far the lowest of any pay-per-view event in history for WCW. So Beach Blast uh, 92 actually set the all-time record for the lowest... Uh, the lowest pay, buy rate, um, lowest gross. Does that surprise any of you guys? Well, it's just a bummer, man, because it was such a great show. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's uh, it's one of those ironies that as WCW was kind of hit an artistic peak, hits a commercial low. Any thoughts on that, Chad? Any reason why the buy rate's hitting such a low point here? I don't. Yeah, I mean, I don't. I don't really get it because. I mean, as we discussed in the shows, I mean, if, if Sting felt like a main eventer, uh, just from an in-ring perspective, it feels like it's around this time, like that he was the ace of a promotion, and you had a, a red-hot top heel and like, Rick Rude, Vader up and coming. Um, I, I don't know. I, I really don't. It's, it's really perplexing to me. Uh, you know, of course, I wasn't analyzing the business at this time when I was six, but uh, it's really, pro- I mean, I guess just wrestling overall was taking a severe downturn. Well, I mean, it's one of those, say, I, I'm convinced um, that booking has, booking and great shows and good wrestling have far less to do with buy rates than we would like to think, uh, which is which is what I argued famously against uh, JDW and co. Uh, when we talked about Mid-South, uh, Will. I just don't. I just don't think it's as clear cut as you know. The product was bad, so therefore people went away. Because I mean, well, this is the evidence, really. It's like well, 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 well hold, hold on. I think, I think what what does have to do with buy rates is, is um, having your fan base have faith in your product. Right. Okay. And you got to remember, ninety one, man. I mean, they gave up on Flair. They did. The, the RoboCop the year before, they did the Black Scorpion crap. You, you know, and this is a company that has given us continuously a couple of years of garbage, right? So you're saying this is basically the payoff for Black Scorpion and all that terrible stuff? I'm, I'm saying that bad booking tends to negate any positives that may be going on in the present. Like, bad booking from the past, you know, will affect the present. It's, it's, it's kind of like if you look at WWE now. And you look at the crowds, they've desensitized the crowds, right? Because of everything that's come in the past, right? right? Mm-hmm. And, that, and, and that's what, what what happens here, is you have a company that the fan base doesn't have faith in. Even if, if they're starting to hit on all cylinders, it took a while. 
you know and, and i'm not even talking about in the ring i'm just talking about storylines feuds people that they care about you know yeah. i mean look at look at wwf uh in 1997 creatively awesome main event scene right with austin uh hard the canada versus u.s feud the hbk deal but it didn't catch on in 97 it was still a distant number two it took uh mike tyson and you know, austin becoming world champion to really break that open and then, and then creatively i don't even think 98 good WF, you know but i mean but personally i mean the the, the the fans had faith in the product, you know, and it was hot. So. All right. Well, awesome player Steamboat series. Did garbage at the gate, right? Right, yeah. Um, and of course, we've talked about that before as well, Chad. Uh, the 89 series not drawing like we thought it might. Funk Flare didn't actually do bad at the box office, but Steamer Flare, not so much. Um, and anyway, uh, Clash did a 2.8 rating, um, uh, which was seen by 1.6 million people, and uh, those numbers are all-time lows for the Clash, which are, with a full 24% drop from the previous Clash, which set the previous all-time low. Um, and while most expected uh, this Clash, for a number of reasons, to be the lowest rated ever, uh, to drop to this level is a major shocker, since no previous Clash had ever done a 37 um, the two lowest rated clashes in history, uh, January the 21st, 92, which was Sting and Ricky Re- uh, Steamboat versus um, Rude and Austin, and September the 5th, 91, which was from Augusta, that was Arn and Larry versus uh, Rick Steiner and Bill Kazmaier, they both did 3.7 rating, so they're, they're way down here, they've dropped a whole, like, point. Um, so yeah, it's inter- so it's, it's across the board, pay-per-view buys tv ratings we've we've talked about the house show uh gates quite just interesting to think about given how uh, yeah what w- one more thing i want to add parvin and uh, yeah. I'm, o- I'm older than chad so i was around bro wrestling was not cool in 1992 you know there was nothing yeah. hip or hot about it it was outdated it was hokey now, regardless of any creative um positives you can think of man i, I was a, a teenager in 92 um there was nothing cool about it, it yeah it was know, you, it was out of vogue the people you know the pro- product itself you know the whole idea of wrestling wasn't over and, then, and this is i guess is what i'm saying which is you know no battle booking can turn around the idea that something isn't like absolutely c- cool if you know what i mean if, if, if it's in the and I'm convinced still that wrestling comes and goes like like yo-yos, you know. It'll be in one time, and then all of a sudden it'll just be un- uncool again as well. Did did that happen in the Attitude Era as well, uh, Chad? Was there a moment when like Austin and all that stopped being cool? Or I mean, I think I think you can certainly see around like 2003, 2004, the the downturn. Um, I I it, I mean as <laughs> You, when WCW went out of business, I mean, those people did not carry over to WWE or WWF. Uh, the Nitro audience was pretty much lost. So where they went, I don't know. But they uh, didn't gain the still two, three million people that were still watching Nitro at the very end. Well, also, also, Parv, mm-hmm. this this uh, needs to be mentioned when you're talking about WWE. 
the way they ran their company wasn't cool. They went from this uh, kind of nasty Jerry Springer product, right? That you know had the the the, the tits and ass. It had the um, the the swearing, the profanity, the I don't give a care attitude to a very corporate culture really quick. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I I stopped watching it right around the time Chad mentioned. Maybe a bit later, that legacy was were they called that? Not legacy, evolution. They were around around the time I stopped watching. So, yeah, I mean, I took my sabbatical um, about two thousand four, mid two thousand four, when I went off to college, and I didn't pick it back up till uh, right around two thousand seven. With you know here or there, keeping an eye on the business, but. I was mainly watching Ring of Honor and Independence and uh, Noah during that time. Yeah, no, I, I, I do think it goes up and up and down. You know, you can see the mid '90s as another kind of low point, I guess. Um, I, and I guess you know he is a low point as well that we're looking at. Um, and anyway, um, one of the uh, some in the company have tried to use the convenient excuse. That uh, our old friend Kip Allen uh, Fry um, had come up with the entire idea of the NWA tournament and the idea of the return of the NWA, which would be a hard sell to begin with, um, uh, which is, according to Meltzer, forgetting that the promotion itself, after Fry had left, never even attempted to familiarise the fans with any of the outside talent, and thus the show never had a chance. Um and he's talking about that tag tournament with the various, you know, with the old days and the Japanese guys coming in and so on. What Morgan do you think, Smiley, yeah. What do you think of the idea that uh, the company should have familiarized the fans with the foreign wrestlers coming in? I I, I agree. In fact, uh, when we talk about the pay-per-view, I'll have more to say about that part. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's something that they never do, really. I mean, the closest we've ever seen to it, Chad, is when Vader first came in and they were showing that footage from Japan and, you know, that's that's the only time I can really think of them well, trying to... I, yeah, I mean, I think in the 80s, like with both Kabuki and World Class and Muda when he first came into the NWA, they were more kind of mystique-type characters, uh, you know, mysterious and stuff like that. So they haven't really found a good way to introduce the talent that is not necessarily a gimmick uh, like that from Japan, uh, like with Hase and Hashimoto, or even really when they had Fujinami versus Flair. I mean, that was, they tried to build that as Japan's biggest star versus the U.S.'s biggest star, but it didn't quite feel that way at all. I I mean, I hate to say this, but part of me thinks that a Japanese guy in black trunks is just not going to get over in the U.S., that you need need to have a Liger or a Mutter or a a gimmick, like you said, Chad. I don't don't agree with that. I think, I mean, look look at like whenever they would bring in stars um, in the territories, they would show footage of those guys. You know, and what made him cool or put a music video to it. WCW put no effort into trying to make anybody interested in any of these people. Well, I I, I don't know. I'm thinking of like, um, I know, Yatsu had a decent run in WF. It didn't seem that over to me. Jumbo was actually the AWA champion. Didn't seem that over to me. Um, I I mean, I can't, I just can't think of just like a straight Japanese wrestler getting over on his own terms. But then they never really try either. It's always like exactly, exactly. They never yeah, try. Yeah, 
it's it's kind of one of those weird things where they never really tried, but if you close my eyes and like I think about who are the most successful Japanese wrestlers in the U.S., I think about like Tajiri, Muda, and Kabuki. Yeah. Uh, but all three of those are very character driven. So I, I, I think. Hold on, hold on. I think yeah. though that we're focusing too much on the Japanese ideal and not the ideal that this was a quote unquote a world tournament, right? Yeah. Like they didn't bother to show footage of like the the Mexican team or the the um, uh, the UK team or whatever. You know what I mean? Like there's there was footage out there. I mean, I don't even know if they would have gotten in trouble for showing some of that uh, foreign footage at the time. You know, I mean, they didn't even bother. That's the the point, right? It's like, oh, okay, we're just going to take your word that these guys from Mexico are, are popular or whatever. It was garbage. The, the sole exception I was going to say was uh, it's probably Mr. Sato, isn't it? Um, but it, and it like in terms of getting over in different places and not really being a gimmick. Um, Who? Mr. Sato. Oh yeah, Saito. Yeah, but even then he was the evil foreign Japanese guy, right? I mean, yeah, I mean, and yeah, and there, there is like a genre the of the misters. <laughs> you know, yeah, he threw the salt and did all the things that evil Japanese guys do. <laughs> anyway, um, what one other contributing factor to the very low later rating of the last clash was um, the fact that they went head to head with a uh, WF prime time, um, and. Um, Apparently, that prime time did the lowest rating of all time as well. <laughs> so, um, it, like, it goes back to your point. Well, wrestling itself wasn't over because the WWF was struggling too. Um, anyway, uh, the poor showings of both the Beach Blast and the Clash were part of yet another weekend uh, from um, the 20th to the 22nd, which set new lows for cable television ratings. So, on top of all of that, cable television Ratings are down across the board as well in wrestling for both Power Hour, Primetime, All-American. You, n- you name the show, basically the numbers are down. So June of uh, 1992, not a hot period for wrestling in the US. Um, yeah, and that's that's not, not a lot of other news in this particular um, uh, edition. Um, so... Yeah, I think we can... I'll move on to the next one. So, what else is going on? So I'm moving on to July the 13th. And um, <laughs> in an attempt to push Atlanta's Omni as the new Madison Square Garden of wrestling, WCW had two title changes at the July the 5th house show, with Brad Armstrong beating Scotty Flamingo to win the light heavyweight title. Yeah, because that's going to... That's gonna, <laughs> that's really going to uh, reignite the crowd, isn't it? Armstrong over Flamingo and um, Gordy and Williams beating the Steiner brothers to capture the WCW tag team titles and I'm sure you'll both have something to say about this but uh, why why are Gordy and Williams winning these WCW titles like a month before they're about to win the NWA ones (laughs) yeah wow he just absolutely loves these guys doesn't he (laughs) Um, anyway both matches along with a few others were filmed with a single camera setup and will probably air as soon as the Saturday um, TBS show hits the move to push the Omni shows uh, what 
um, was exemplified on the TBS shows this past weekend, since both national shows heavily pushed the Sunday night card. What do you think of the Omni as the uh, kind of a new MSG of wrestling? They never really managed to get the Omni hot again, did they? Did well, they should have fleshed it out. I mean, in 98 and 99, the Georgia Dome was carrying some of the biggest, I mean, the biggest crowds in the U.S. at that point in time. I mean, when Goldberg won the title uh, from the Georgia Dome, you had legitimately 30,000 plus in there. So I think if they would have done Sting Hogan at the uh, Georgia Dome, they could have had a huge house. If they would have held off Goldberg, uh, they would have had another huge house. But uh, I, I don't know. I mean, well, I mean, I do know Bischoff didn't want the company at that time to be seen as a Southern promotion. So he yeah. tried to build up Washington and uh, Las Vegas. They were terrified of seeming local or southern or regional, weren't they, at that point? Uh, any thoughts, Will? No. <laughs> okay. Um, Long term, says Meltzer, an argument can be made that house shows have to be emphasized in order to make them profitable. And to do that, fans have, have to be conditioned that the house show is still the main item. Um, where the big uh, matches take place and the titles change rather than the pay-per-view or the television tapings. And I have to say, I was reading uh, PWI around this time, and um, I know Vince was doing all sorts of title changes on house shows in the 92, 93 sort of period. Um, I mean, it, it was a little bit after this, but it was seemingly every week, like, Money Inc. had lost the titles to the Steiners, and, you know, I was like, oh, that, that happened, did it? Oh, suddenly they're four-time champions. All right. Um so you did get a lot of those kind of off-TV changes. Like Flair lost the title off-TV, didn't he? Um, didn't Brett win the title off-TV? Yep, it was yeah. on that Coliseum yep. home video. Smack them, yeah. whack them. So, yeah, they were doing a bit of that house show thing uh, at that point. Um, I guess the house show business is... Well, it's still going, isn't it? They still do house shows, uh, the WWE. But it's de-emphasized as a revenue stream, is that right? Um, well, I mean, I'd, I'd say it's still a pretty heavy revenue stream. Um, it's just de-emphasized from a storyline development standpoint. Yeah, right, right. The stories are are to drive the TV and the pay-per-views, whereas the stories used to be to drive the house show business. So it's not the focus. Right, yeah. Um, okay. Uh, and uh, Meltzer does quite a lot of analysis here about whether they should go with pay-per-views or house shows or how they're going to drive the business up, uh, basically. Um, all a bit too much detail, I think, uh, for us here. Um, just uh, just by the by, uh, Bob Backlund debut for the WWF uh, around this time, uh, beating Skinner on a, on a New York show. So just an uh, interesting little uh, re-emergence for Backlund there. Um, and uh, let's see if any more uh, news it's quite a kind of thin uh, news month uh, for Meltzer um, let's have a look yes uh, besides two title changes mentioned on page one the other angle is that Mr. Hughes is turning face <laughs> it started at a house show uh, on July the 1st at Macon uh, during a Dustin Rhodes vs. Greg Valentine match when Terry Taylor and Hughes attacked Rhodes and Junkyard Dog, uh, made the save in the brawl, uh, and punched Hughes and his glasses exploded. 
Uh, Hughes, who I don't believe will be given the blonde hair gimmick, did a stretcher job after his glasses exploded. So, anybody got any memories of that? Uh, ever seen Mr. Hughes' glasses exploding? Or Nope. No. <laughs> what? Now, what was the date of the Omni show? Do you have that? Uh, the Omni show? Yeah, uh, the, the one with the title change. Because this was January 1st in Macon. That was January 1st, Macon, and the Omni show, I think, was a couple of nights before, was it? Ah, uh, so that's, I mean, they're no, really... No, 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 uh, July the 5th, July the 5th. Okay, so in a 12-day span, they had a show in Macon, the Omni show, and uh, the show we're talking about tonight in Albany, so really a tour of Georgia that's the, the first I'd, half of July. I, I'd imagine that's all Bill Watts cutting costs there, not flying them, you know, here, there, and everywhere, and just be like, okay... Let's do July dates in Georgia, something like that. Right. I'd imagine. I'd imagine anyway. Um, not a lot. What else happened? Um, it appears that the big losers now that Bill Watts is in charge are Brian Pillman, uh, Jushin Liger, who did a job for uh, Scotty Flamingo in Baltimore, Tom Zenk, hooray, <laughs> the Freebirds, hooray, um, <laughs> and uh, Marcus Bagwell. So, um, yay. Just, <laughs> Just looking at that, though, from a 92 perspective, not from our perspective now, Brian Pillman, Liger, and Bagwell being de-emphasized is uh, pretty short-sighted by Bill Watts, I'd imagine. I mean, they're kind of young, exciting workers who are good prospects. These are the big winners under the Watts regime. Terry Gordy, uh, Steve Williams, Mr. Hughes, Ron Simmons, Greg Valentine... Uh, Dick Slater, the Barbarian, and Dan Spivey. Any thoughts about that? Well, that I mean, that just reads as the Watts from the '80s. I mean, I mean, that really is. You got his favorites from UWF. You have another great Black Hope, you know, in the lineage of Savannah Jack and Ron Simmons. You have him de-emphasizing the Freebirds, which you know he's the one that kind of notoriously just saw Michael Hayes as like a talker and shit in the ring so this is just kind of his prevailing thoughts from the 80s carried over into 1992 any any thoughts well you're a big uh, watts guy from the mid 80s yeah i loved i loved watts in the 80s but the problem is you know i don't still live in the 80s and, and watts did and uh you know he's just going with the horse he knows you know i mean he's he's going with the guy he trusts and guys that did business for him before and you know ron S- simmons was his protege in the 80s i mean like yeah. then i mean S- simmons started in the wf i mean i, I can say why he did it but i mean he completely shit the bed here you know i just that, that, not just with uh pillman and liger but just the the entire way that he chose to um try to change too much i mean if you want to retain the fans that are still there despite the fact that we are at record lows you know i don't believe necessarily in like shocking the entire system you shock parts of the system right yeah i think that was the problem is that you just tried to, to flip everything right away you know and and like i said doc and gordy could have been a very valuable tag team for him but the way he went about it was completely all wrong. 
Yeah, no, I mean, this is something I see more and more, though. I mean, I, you, you definitely see it in uh, football, soccer. I've, I've seen it in various different uh, workplaces that I've had. When a new man, the new manager, the new big guy comes in, new chief executive or whatever, and he wants to make a splash, so he starts ringing it, you know, reinventing the book, reinventing the wheel, left, right. You see it all the time, you know. See, see uh, it in uh, the education world all the time, too, where... You know, a new superintendent comes in and, the, oh, we're going to do his plan now. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I, I've been at this university for, what, three, four years now? And I've already seen, like, two major restructures of how the administration works, two major overhauls of how marking is meant to work. And it's just, like, various different senior guys trying to show that, you know, them being there is making an impact. Do you know what I mean? And, absolutely. Uh, you can absolutely. see, You can see Bill Watts doing it here. Um, so, but I don't know. I mean, like even like Marcus Bagwell, if I was booking in ninety nine two, I wouldn't be putting Greg Valentine over him, you know. And I love Greg Valentine, but right. like he his day is gone, you know. So anyway, um, R- Richard Morton is gone for six months. Uh, although there is talk that he'll be brought back, perhaps with Robert Gibson, after they feel uh, that fans have forgotten how buried he was. Uh, now that doesn't happen, does it? Because they go to Smoky Mountain, the rock and rolls. Is that right? Yeah, that's yeah. correct. So uh, okay, and I, I think it's probably for the best because uh, I I I feel like those guys have been past it for a few years now. In terms of the, in terms of their heyday, seems a long way behind them. Yeah, so. the, well, the Smoky Mountain stuff is a good kind of capper on them as a team. Uh, they feel revitalized a good bit going back with the Heavenly Bodies. Yeah, um, I, I think that run from uh, Morton in the... I mean, he's so lost, isn't he? Like, Alexandra York, when did she leave? Like, Yeah, <laughs> I, I would say from, uh, really from when he lost to Pillman at Halloween Havoc to, I guess, now when he's gone, Morton's a pretty lost character. Just, 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 no, just no man's land for him. Okay, um, and then... TV ratings are up a little bit from the all-time lows of last week. Um, various different house shows going on. Oh, here we go. More uh, more Watts stuff. Uh, Watts has now banned baby faces and heels from flying in the same aeroplane, which in some cases has made a tough travel schedule that, um, that much tougher with the faces and heels alternating weeks in having to take the early flights out of town after wrestling the previous night. The reason given wasn't kayfabe as much as the fear that if everyone was on the same plane and it went down, there would be nobody left to wrestle. <laughs> <laughs> that can't be a joke, man. That cannot be the rationale. So now the billion to one odds of that happening are doubled. So um, there we go. Is it? I mean, the, the president and the vice president never take a flight together, though, right? Precisely for that. Yeah, and well, I guess I mean, don't forget they pro- there were probably still guys around who remember the 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 Flair, you know, who was on that plane, Flair, um, uh, Johnny Valentine, Johnny Valentine, Some big da- David David Crockett, who probably was on that, who was probably still uh, around. Was you know? Mr. Wrestling Tim Woods? Yeah, so I mean, it, it I'm, I guess I don't know, even though it's a long shot, I, I can. Who, I, who died in that crash? Was it Buddy Colt? Buddy Colt, I, I seem to, or yeah. Buddy, or who was it? I, yeah. I think it was Buddy Colt, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah, someone's going to correct us. We, we should probably... Val- well, Valentine could never wrestle again. Um, Flair was out for a year. 
Well, there was a, like a basketball team that crashed. Who was that, too? I'm sure somebody can correct us, too. But yeah. I know there was a basketball team that had a plane crash. And um, famously, uh, there was an entire Manchester United uh, side that uh, were lost. Uh, the, the, the so-called um, Bubsy's uh, Babes from the from the 60s. So, you know, they were a great team. They just won the... They were just challenging for the European Cup, and they, you know, so I guess there are precedents, uh, you know, for this sort of thing. Um, but as yeah, just reading it made just, just the reasoning just made it made me laugh. Um, uh, Shane Douglas and Tom Pritchard were backstage at the Omni. Oh, hold uh, on, Buddy, uh, Buddy Colt um, had his career ended after the plane crash. It was Bobby Shane who died. Bobby Shane who died. Okay. Yeah, from what I've seen, Buddy Colt wasn't bad actually. Um, in the in the kind of grainy footage we have from 70s Florida and so on. Um, um, yeah, I don't think there's much else here. Oh yeah, Larry Larry Zabisco looks like he's going to be phased away from full-time wrestling to concentrate on commentary, which is something he would do throughout the rest of the 90s, really. Um, and um, TBS on Saturday had a freshness and spontaneity that's been missing for a long time, says Meltzer. Um, and that is needed, although all the hype was directed at promoting the wrong thing as far as uh, making the company money. Um, and I guess he's talking about the NWA tag tournament. Um, not even a hint on television yet of the signers being part of the pay-per-view show, maybe this c- coming weekend. And uh, again, I'm sure we'll talk about that in a moment. Um, and uh, finally, um, Big Van Vader most likely uh, is going to become the first wrestler ever in history to win world heavyweight titles in four countries um, on uh, the Great American Bash. Uh, well, and I think he's now at the point where he's actually seen the bash, so we're right up to date. Well, so, hold on, hold on. So we're looking at Germany when he defeated Otto Wands, right? Yep, CWA. Okay, we're looking at Japan, obviously, and America. What was the fourth? Well, it was uh, UWA in Mexico. Okay, and, fair enough. And at one point, he held the Japanese, European, and uh, Mexican titles simultaneously. So, yeah. And I guess Vader's uh, one of the very few people ever to do that. So, they're the only person to do that. Um, okay. And uh, so, let us um, take a break um, and uh, listen to these uh, advertisements. And when we come back, we will review the Great American Bash. Promotional consideration paid for by the following. What's up, everybody? This is Kevin Kelly. Make sure you check out every episode of The Kevin Kelly Show right here on the Place to Be Nation. PlaceToBeNation.com, The Kevin Kelly Show. Every episode is a winner. At least we hope. Place for Nation's Justin Rosero here. In addition to the Kevin Kelly Show, we have a ton of great podcasts available to you on iTunes and PlaceForNation.com. You can check out Scott Criscolo and me on the Mothership, the Place to Be podcast, with our famous Vintage Vault pay-per-view reviews. PTBN also covers current day wrestling with main event, Mission Indie Possible, and our monthly pay-per-view reaction shows with immediate feedback on WWE, NXT, and Ring of Honor Super Shows. And relive wrestling's past with our monthly pay-per-view rewind series, led by Ben Morse, and the Dangerous Alliance Wrestling Podcast as we dive into various subjects in the form of exercises and games. we got sports covered, too, with the Sports Evolution Mega Show with Scott, 
Dr. G, Cowboy and Cowboy Senior, the Kings of Sport, led by live audio wrestling's godfather Nate Milton, as well as the NBA Team Podcast and the TJ McLoon Show. PTBN tackles pop culture and irreverence with Richard and the Mailman, the Glenn Butler Podcast Hour Spectacular. And if you like a hybrid of all of this in list form, check out Jordan Duncan's Rank and File. All of these shows are available on PlaySubination.com, where we cover pro wrestling, sports, movies, comics, plus tournaments and more. We want to thank our friends at Bonehead's Wing Bar in West Warwick, Rhode Island and Fall River, Massachusetts, and Scott Keats' Blog of Doom. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Tumblr as well. PlaySubination.com, the only place to be in your pop culture world. This is Parv, and I'm here to tell you to listen and subscribe to the Pro Wrestling Only Place to Be Nation podcast network. That's the PWO PTBN podcast network, where you'll find a ton of in-depth shows done by hardcore fans. We've got Chris Zellner's one-two punch of Exile on Bad Street and with David Bickenspan, a smash hit between the sheets. We've got Wrestling Culture with Dylan Hales and Dave Musgrave. Goodwill Wrestling and the reaction shows with Good Old Will from Texas. We got This Week in Wrestling with my man Pete and Johnny Sorrow. Stephen Graham and Tim Livingston's Pro Wrestling Super Show. Tag Teams Back Again with Kelly and Marty Sleaze. And a ton of other great shows too. And of course there's Titans of Wrestling and Where the Big Boys Play with yours truly and some dude from down south called Chad. PWO, PTBN, Podcast Network. All right, well, a uh, lot of good shows there. Um, and just before we uh, go into this review, not often we have a guest on these days. Uh, do you have anything to plug, Will? Um, I know we just did Dangerous Alliance a couple of weeks ago. And um, I guess we're going to do the Fastlane um, reaction show. But that's about it, man. I, I'm probably going to scale back on podcasting for the foreseeable future. All right, but you're going to continue on the reaction shows, uh, at least through WrestleMania. <laughs> at least through WrestleMania, I, I make no promises after that. I'm so <laughs> not interested in the current product, and you know Daniel <laughs> Daniel Bryan's retirement just kind of reemphasized that. So, you know, if not, it'll be uh, probably a committee between Zellner and Johnny Sorrow or something. Will are you going to be holding out for a bigger money contract? You know, you, are you the PTBN Brock Lesnar? Uh, no. <laughs> he, he's he's going to be straight shooting on another uh, podcast. Oh, God. Can you imagine if yeah. he... Uh... <laughs> Me and my Barbary. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, and do you have anything to uh, um, shill or any uh, anything in the pipeline, Chad, you want to mention at this point? Not really. Um, I'm just doing my IWA Mid-South stuff every week on a ptbn so that's something uh, to look at saturday morning is what i'm usually shooting for there i did write a piece on uh, daniel bryan uh i guess yesterday now and today's run together um well yesterday as of this recording probably a couple of days when you hear this but uh that was kind of uh, it's been a while i guess to be a wrestling fan and that was good to kind of do a retrospective of him and I've been watching a few of his uh, Ring of Honor matches the past couple of days, and I mean, he was just a great wrestler, just a, an incredible. Some of the stuff that you kind of forget about or is not as hyped uh, is still just absolutely four-star great matches. Uh, like I watched a match versus Austin Aries, not the uh, more famous 70-minute one, but one they had right after uh, Danielson won the title. And, I mean, it's just a great match that you don't hear 
much people talk about, but I ranked it like four and a quarter stars. Just an awesome match. I can see there, Chad, is currently the most popular post uh, place to be nation. So there you yeah, go. Yeah, did, did pretty good. Um, so um, this this dislodged the previously most popular post, of course. My own very rare why Roman Reigns isn't over article. So <laughs> it's a couple of weeks old now, but you can read that if you uh, fancy a slightly different take on. Uh, you know why fans boo and so on um i don't know if i'm right but uh, i thought it was quite fun to uh compare reigns to two completely different wrestlers in different periods uh yeah let's get let's get into the great american bash now um because tony shivani with the big old shill to start and he's with magnum ta what do you think of magnum cropping up here guys another blast from the past he he seemed like carry on will no, I was just going to say, man, I mean, Magnum wasn't inoffensive, uh, you know, in that role. It just, like like Chad said, a blast from the past. It just reminds you of what you no longer have, you know. I I, uh, I actually thought he was t- a total spare part on this show. Like, he, like if he wasn't on it, I don't know, he, he, I mean, he's, they were clearly giving him a payday and so on, but. Just, just no, like he brought less to this than uh, even, even sexy Eric Bischoff uh, has brought to these shows recently. <laughs> which yeah, is, I, <laughs> I mean, we're still in that weird stage where you got Ross and Jesse as the announcers, then you have to do something with Tony, so they have him as kind of like the presenter of the pay per view, and then that usually relegates uh, your boy Toy Eric to the backstage area. You got Missy usually running around. Uh, Soli and Lance Russell are still doing the hotline play-by-play. <laughs> so we still have just an absolute bevy of uh, color commentators, announcers, backstage hosts, uh, just a whole plethora of people doing these shows. Yeah, I mean, they, I don't know. Why didn't they give him the old Sean Mooney role? Go and talk to some guys in the crowd or something. I don't know. Have him do something. Um Anyway, uh, we st- they actually tell us that um, there's been an eye injury to Akira Nagami as the entire WCW w audience goes, who? Uh, <laughs> and, I was uh, going, who? Who? <laughs> and then, get this, Hashimoto is going to take his place. So now we get the awesome uh, New Japan team of Hase and Hashimoto. What do you think of that team? So... Yeah, that's a that's pretty, awesome. pretty good pairing. Yeah. So anyway, over... Doing a video, a hype video, showing Hashimoto <laughs> guys' heads off. <laughs> no, it's, instead they did a hype video of Nagami's injured eye, which is really bizarre, because like, they don't know who Nagami is. Anyway, um, over to Jim Ross and Jesse Ventura now, and um, Bill Watts is with Eric Bischoff. And uh, what goes into the rules of the differences between the NWA and the WCW and the nuances of the different rules? Hook him up, he says. Now, what did you make of this, Will? What's going into the different rules of the NWA and the WCW? So stupid. (laughs) Here's the thing, man. I mean, like, nobody was trying to do, right? I mean, he's explained it on shoot interviews. He explained it in his I mean, we, we, you know, Foley did a great rundown in his uh, book. Still stupid. 
You know what I mean? It's like the top rope rule. I mean, I understand that he, he was trying to make it build to something important, but times have changed. You can't do what these guys were doing. You know, and we're going to talk more about the top rope for the show. It just drove me nuts. Just like it wasn't the change that the people wanted. You know what I mean? It wasn't what the people were looking for. You're giving people something they never asked for. You know, and, and expe- expecting them to uh, uh, receive it with open arms. And, and it was a flop, man. It was garbage. Any thoughts, Chad? Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of when he was going through the, uh, the rules and stuff, I mean, it makes it seem like the NWA rules are a lot more progressive and exciting than the WCW rules where you can, you know, go off the top rope and what. Yeah, that's a great point. So, so it, it's, it almost seemed like you were, he was in, inadvertently blasting his own promotion, uh, for this one night, you know, you're going to have some high flying, exciting off the top rope action. And then it's going to be back to the norm, uh, starting tomorrow. I, I developed a conspiracy theory that it was all a rib on head referee, Ole Anderson to try to try to bury him as the head referee of WCW, uh, because it like isn't it kayfabe wise? Isn't o- Ole the one who brought in this rule? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I, think, I, think, I think it is. Is it meant to be him? All right. Um, anyway, our first matchup here: Brian Pillman and Jushin Liger taking on Ricky Steamboat and Nikita Koloff in a rare, pretty much face versus face match, isn't it? Yeah, I mean they presented it like that. A couple of little uh, Jesse notes during this. Uh, at one point, he accuses uh, Nikita Koloff of abusing Medusa, <laughs> of like, basically of domestic abuse. And um, he also busts out his uh, Eduardo uh, Carpentier reference, which he absolutely loves uh, around this time. So um, always good to see that on the Jesse watch. So, Char, what did you make of uh, the opener here? Well, I, I thought this was an interesting pairing. I mean, just uh, having Steamboat up against Liger um, and, and Pillman, really, it, it made for a really interesting kind of dynamic. Um, one thing that we'll get through as the show as a whole is uh, this is certainly a show where the matches are given a lot of time. Um, this, this match goes just sub of 20 minutes, and uh, I, I really enjoyed it for about, I'd say, 15 of it. I think the last three or four minutes kind of putter uh, to the finish. Uh, some kind of awkward sequences, actually, with uh, with Pillman, where he dives on the back of Koloff, trying to give him a sleeper, and look like they didn't have that spot coordinated well at all, and him and Steamboat can't do a bridge spot at one point. Uh, so just a couple of awkward stuff in the uh, late stages, but... The other thing, kind of when I was doing my preview of the other reviews of this show, was there seems to be a lot of knocking of Nikita in this match. And I know you don't like him very much, Par, but I thought he was really good here, actually, as a change of pace. Well, uh, fu- funny enough, I've, I've written here, I prefer Nikita in 92 than the 88-89 uh, flat top lamer. That's what I wrote. So. Well, yeah, I mean, how can you not? But <laughs> but, but not as good as 86 Nikita going up against um, Magnum. I, I thought this was a very good opener, uh, strong overall. Like I said, I mean, the finish, I mean, I, I, was, I had it flirting with like four stars up to the finish. 
finish brought it down a little bit, but I still ranked at three and a half stars. And, you know, Liger doing his moonsault and some of his handspring back elbows and that type of dynamic move, it always kind of dazzles. I mean, we'll get to this crowd as the show progresses, but uh, his high-flying arsenal and moves were still able to dazzle this crowd that was pretty maligned for much of the night, as we'll get to. Well... Yeah, you know I, what I liked about Liger in this is that he, he did the high fly and like Chad mentioned, but he also displayed some uh, uh, test not test them, um, just displays of strength, you know, throughout the match where where you know like I mean Nikita was kind of like the the big goon, but you know against Steamboat man, I mean both Liger and Pillman both kind of uh, held their own. They didn't feel like lightweights up and going up against Steamboat. And, uh, I agree with Chad that Nikita actually did pretty well here, but but you can kind of tell that Nikita's in a different league than the other three because uh, you know he, he's the only guy who decided. Well, I'm in a tag match that's really getting this crowd into it, so I'm going to hook on a chin lock in the middle of the match. <laughs> you know, so <laughs> it's just one of those things where, where where you know that he's not wrestling at the same pace as the. But he held up fine, and I agree, it was a really fun match. Yeah, um, I uh, I thought Steamboat looked great here. Um, I, I really, I, everything Steamboat does in '92 just seems to be amazing to me. I, I, we, all, we talk about uh, Rude's great year in '92. I don't think people really talk enough about Steamboat's great year in '92 because he's since he came back, he's really been like everything he's done has been excellent. Um, so. Yes, yeah, good little match. I, I don't think I liked it as much as you, uh, Chad. I got it three stars here, but it was you know perfectly enjoyable. I thought, um, and I noticed they went to the uh, the old roll through finish, that old standby. Yeah, that's kind of a pretty good face versus face finish there. Um, and and this, I, I mean, I think '92 could be Liger's best year too. It's it's certainly in contention. '89 so, so is you, right up there, man. Yeah, I mean, he, when you talk about people like him and Steamboat, uh, some all-timers, they have a baby of them. But, I mean, 92, he has the old Samurai matches, uh, a very good match with Benoit from February, and then the Pillman match. And then this, I think, is another, I mean, I would put this right up there as a, as a case builder for his great year. Yeah. Now we go to a uh, Steiner's promo. And uh, this this was pretty entertaining actually. Scott Steiner talks about um, Hamid Ali, and then he uh, in the same breath he talks about Harley Race, which I thought was quite neat, as if Race and Ali were kind of on par. And then um, Scott kind of tries to put the Steiners themselves on the on the in the same kind of level as Ali and Race. Uh, Rick Steiner meanwhile says that he isn't scared. So, did you guys enjoy this? No. <laughs> and they and they had a uh, Frankensteiner T-shirt. What was that? That was odd, but <laughs> not, not much of note. Yeah, not much of note here. Yeah, you didn't. Uh, you fasted forwarded through it, well. <laughs> Pretty much, man. I mean, I, I you know I knew this was a wrestling heavy show. I didn't really pay attention to any angles they were trying to run. <laughs> Well, I, I'm always entertained by any any time Scott Steiner, especially during this period, gets on the mic because, God, he talks some rubbish. Anyway, um, second match here um, is uh, my boys, the fabulous Freebirds, um, 
versus uh, Hase and Hashimoto. And um, I, I, <laughs> Chad, I thought it was pretty funny seeing uh, seeing the Freebirds up against these different world opponents. We saw them against the... Who did we see them against uh, last time? The Mexican guys? Silver King. Yeah, Silver <laughs> King. The Clash. Now <laughs> they get Hase and Hashimoto here. Um, and, uh, yeah, like Jimmy Jam Garvin, the world warrior, you know, uh, against different, taking on all comers. Um, and one thing I did like, uh, going into this is that, uh, JR called Hase, uh, the leader. So I just written here, take that hash fans. Yeah. Well, he always, he always pushed that, (laughs) um, in the, uh, in the 91, when Hase came in, he said the same thing. I don't know. I don't quite know where he got that because, I, I, I mean, I would say on the New Japan pecking order, it was probably pretty close around this time, but I would say Hashimoto, number one, above him. I I, th- I think it's probably because uh, he's got this idea that Hase was a professor at one point and, and is a, and is a, a veteran or something. That's what... That's the narrative that JR seems to push whenever Hase's on these cards. Um, it's also interesting that they always send Hase. It's always it, like, it, did did somebody think, well, maybe the WCW fans remember him from last time, type of thing? I don't know. They, just, they, uh... they sent him before, didn't they? <laughs> you know, the yellow trunks, the the wheezy little mustache, maybe. Yeah. Well, yeah, but Hase is a pretty charismatic guy. I mean. Yeah. Maybe they just thought thought there was a lot more to him. What what did you make of uh, what did you make of this matchup, Will? I thought it was a nothing match, man. I mean, I was kind of amused that in 1992, Michael Hayes is doing a moonwalk in in a ring that has Hashimoto, and all I could think was, God, I hope Hashimoto kicks his head off. Please kick his head off. Please kick his head off. And it was just it was kind of a nothing match, man. I, I didn't really have a lot to say about the match itself, just because. Just the same way that they present the the Japanese guys. I mean, Hashimoto is a world beater, and they were just presented as a couple of, of, of you know, just a couple of guys from Japan. And it just, I don't know. I'll, later on, I'm going to tell you how I would have booked this show with the talent available, and you know, adding some other matches. And it, I guarantee you my show would have been better. But, you know, whatever. I mean, let's move on. Let's go to a better match. Uh, Chad? I, I liked it okay. Um, I, I mean, I, I appreciate that the Freebirds matches are short. I mean, this was nine minutes. Shortest match of the night. Uh, Jimmy Jam Garvin better be happy that uh, Jesse was wearing that terrible suit. <laughs> or else he would have the worst fashion statement of the night with them white boots. My, my uh, buddy Charles is rubbing off on you, Chad. <laughs> the white boots, I, I could not uh, unscratch them from my eyes. But I did think that the Freebirds brought a little more intensity and I guess less overall shtick than we'd seen from some of their 1991 outings. So that was a welcome change. <laughs> I, I have to say, I had so much fun watching this match. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I love watching Hase slap Jimmy Jam in the face. I mean, Hase stiffing uh, Jimmy Jam is basically the highlight of my entire life. Uh, I loved uh, I loved Hash kicking the shit out of Michael Hayes. I mean, it was... The, it was <laughs> 
<laughs> it was just quite funny. I mean, they were they were working pretty stiff considering they were against the Freebirds. But so, he so, didn't he, kick his head off. That was the whole purpose. No, he didn't kick his head off, sadly. But it, it was still pretty funny to uh, see these guys. Like, it's just such a weird mix of uh, mix of guys, you know. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I just thought it was a weird clash of um, clash of different worlds here, um, and uh, yeah. So, I, I gave it two stars. It was right. Yeah, I mean, I actually went two and a half. That <laughs> was pretty reasonable. Um, like yeah. I said, I thought it was okay. Yeah. Yeah, it was okay. Like, but just, you know, the, the least matches on the card. Sure. So, uh, Bill Watts is with... Uh, is that Hiro Matsuta he's with? Yes. Um, uh, yeah, I thought it was. Um and then he basically goes out of his way to mention Flair a number of times, uh, which I thought was interesting. One of the one of the first of a number of mentions that Flair would have. Now, wasn't Flair the WF champion at this point? Uh, this was July, so it was still Savage. Right, but he was right in the mix, wasn't he? Yeah, I mean, he was in the mix. Well, what do you think of that, uh, Will? Mentioning... Flair's a legend in the territory. You should mention him. You know, I always hated wrestling's um, uh, philosophy of if a guy doesn't work there, or you know, um, we can't pretend that something else doesn't exist. Drove me batty when I was a kid, and you know, still something I roll my eyes at as an adult. Well, anyway, yeah. Let's uh, let's move on uh, to the next match, which is Rick Rude and Steve Austin taking on Barry Windham and Dustin Rhodes, which uh, looks pretty good on paper, I have to say. And I tell you something else that looks good, and that is Rick Rude's body. Look at him at the start of this match. Um, Easy he's re- tiger. He's really is. He's really in his prime here. Does, does Parv have a hard on for Bischoff or Rude more around the time? It's pretty close. I tell you, somebody, one guy who's got a bigger hard-on for him is Jesse Ventura, of course. Um, and uh, the other thing he's got a hard-on for, or not, is that bloody tape wrist around... He will never fail to mention the tape wrist around Wyndham's, uh, Wyndham's um, you know, the, the, the tape around his wrist. He mentioned it again. I, I thought it was awesome. I thought Jesse complaining about the tape fist and then just going apocalyptic when Wyndham finally nails on with the, the tape fist punch was great. I just love the way Jesse complained about it. Wyndham wasn't using it. And then finally nails it. Jesse feels like, you know, his world is crumbling down. It was just so awesome. <laughs> um, yeah, well, you won't hear me say a bad word about, uh, about Jesse on commentary. Uh, the one little question I've got before we get into uh, this match um, I, for some reason, as I was watching Rude do his gyrations and so on, greatest U.S. champion of all time, Will? Oh, man, there have been a lot of great U.S. champions. I'd, I'd have to look at the list. I mean, you're, you're talking about, like, Magnum and Nikita, their run, and, man, I don't know. I'd, I'd have to look at the list. I'd have to look at the list. I, I'm not going to say that yet. Chad, uh, what do you reckon? Yeah, I would say he's in contention. Um, I will say I can't think of a U.S. champion run after him that equaled uh, his run. I, like, this is kind of the final 
curtain call, I'd say, of the U.S. Championship really feeling like, uh, you know, in some instances, a 1A title. You, or, uh, you wouldn't put Austin in the conversation? I, I didn't think his U.S. Championship run was that good. Um, I, I see him more from his, like, television title run, actually. Right. The only the only guy I would put in the conversation really is Lex Luger. Hit that. Oh, yeah, great Yeah, there's been a few. Yeah. Okay. Um. So yeah, Chad, it's your turn to go first. So what do you make of this one? Well, I did like. Um. We got another. You know, last show Parv is one rude was staring at Medusa's ass going down the <laughs> ring. Yeah. Here, here we got Medusa doing a nice little dance when uh, Rude was unrobing. So I, uh, I enjoyed that. Uh, I mean, you know, like this this match, uh, Wyndham hits Austin with the tape fist. Jesse loses his mind right at the start. Uh, I really like the segment with Dustin and Rude. Uh, with the back suplex has come to the climax and Dustin taking over the hammerlock. Uh, the match definitely goes back and forth again. Another long, lengthy tag match, which will be a reoccurring theme. Um, one thing that I noticed, just another bit of Jesse Ventura commentary, is like when the match began, he called Dustin 6'5". And then during the match, he said he was 6'7". So he grew two inches in like <laughs> 10 minutes he was out there. Uh, which That's I enjoyed. Awesome. Um, Medusa gets on the apron, allowing Rude to hit a missile drop kick, which looked kind of awkward, but I, th- I thought that was a cool kind of aerial move from Rude. Uh, and then Rude follows that up with a insane pile driver. Uh, got some really good air, and I loved Wyndham selling on the pile driver, where he just does this great days knocked out look off of that. Um, Dustin Rhodes, I also took notice, he was very good being a cheerleader on the apron. I thought um, Austin, now Austin in these matches, like in the Super Brawl match, Austin was clearly the wink link. And I think we've seen some growth from Austin as a worker because I didn't get that feeling here, even though he was with uh, three other really good workers. I thought Austin fit right in with this match. Eventually, Dustin gets the hot tag. He gives Rude a drop kick, and Rude takes a great bump to the outside. And then uh, Dustin catches Austin with a lariat from the top rope, and they win. Um, and it's kind of a weird match overall where, I, again, I really liked it. I gave it three and a half stars, but it's almost like I'm disappointed in that given the talent. I, I, I think you're nuts, man. I, thought I had this in contention for best match of the show. Yeah, I, I have uh, at least a few other matches I liked more. So I may be lower, but... I mean, I, I still yeah. really liked it, but I was expecting... I, I guess kind of going in, I thought it might contend with that Super Brawl tag, and I liked the Super Brawl tag a good bit more. So, well, you'd have this above uh, three and a half stars, uh, Will? Yeah, man. I mean, well, here's the thing. Um, I was kind of focusing on this, looking at it from a greatest wrestler ever perspective. Yeah. Like looking at Austin at this early stage in his career, looking at Dustin at his stage, uh, seeing if Rude can continue the 1992 hype, you know, uh, you know, guys that I'm concerned, Barry Windham, seeing how he's holding up in the 90s. And I thought all four guys did an amazing job. I even made comments on Austin. I thought him and Windham worked really well together. Like they, they just fit in the ring perfectly together 
during this match. I thought I thought that pairing was really great. Uh, Dustin and Rude looked really good together, even though they had some really disappointing singles matches around this time. I don't know if you all remember those. Um, and then uh, I thought Austin bumped his ass off in this match. And, and Austin's bumping around this time because, you know, he's, he's more of a, a, a slimy character. Um, it's not that theatrical Mr. Perfect bumping, but he it's, it's high-impact bumping. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, he really was a great bumper. And um, I thought I thought that, you know, this match was just... Like, it was the one where I didn't, like, get sidetracked with anything else. Where my focus was on the match the entire time, and these guys never let me lose focus. Whereas, like, with other matches, you know, I check my cell phone, I check my texts, uh... I'll surf the the web or something while it's on, you know. No, not not with this match. I thought this was great at the end of the offense after the hot tag, because he has that really sweet drop kick, and um, then he nails like this great flying back elbow, which I thought was really uh, a great. And um, man, a huge thumbs up for this for me. Right, so um, I was just having a little look at uh, Meltzer's ratings for this show, and uh, have, have you guys seen them? Oh yeah, this we can get I have with no that. Idea. I have no idea. Yeah, uh, I think this is one of the most shoddy. Um, I, I, this is probably the furthest I'll be from Meltzer rating wise for a show we well, do. I mean, I I've, I've just uh, opened it up here because I, I always forget to do this, but um, first match. He gave so the opener he gave three and a quarter to okay right. the Pillman Liger Steamboat Koloff the 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 Japanese versus the Freebirds a star and a quarter okay whatever or whatever this match star and a half wow yeah I mean well you know what and that doesn't make me feel bad because I don't view wrestling the same way Meltzer does and I don't you know I don't care if his ratings are off. I mean, I was there live for Davey Richards versus Michael Elgin. Yeah. And he got a five-star match. So what the hell does he know? You know? What do you, what do you, I mean, I, 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 I don't value his, I value his uh, wrestling reporting. I do not value his wrestling opinion. Well, this is his review. He says, uh, 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 started slow. Rhodes did the cool tombstone reversal on Rude. Medusa was at ringside instead of poorly dangerously, who wasn't even booked on the show. He's kind of in the doghouse right now, but theoretically one had nothing to do with the other. The first match didn't pop big because it was face versus say- face. The second because it wasn't good and the fans weren't familiar with the Japanese. And then the crowd <laughs> didn't didn't react in this match either. Um, Wyndham was controlled on the mat to the point that it got boring with constant rest holds. Uh, Rhodes finally made the hot tag and they went to the finish with the heels selling great in the last minute, star and a half. So that's Meltzer's review. Um, I also disagree with him. Um, in fact, I gave it three and a half stars as well. Um, which uh, I, And I did go and have a look because uh, I, I actually had an inkling that Charles would be high on this match. Um, he he did seem quite high on it, but he only gave it three and three quarters, so not, not too far away. Initially gave it four and a half. Four and a quarter. And then, what, and then he revised it back down. Okay. Um, I, I I thought it was you know it, it's perfectly good, but I kind of agree with Chad that I feel like I've seen these guys have 
better matches. Um, and uh, I mean, one thing I will say is that for matches that go quite long, I, at this point in the card, I wasn't feeling the length of them. You know, it didn't feel like it went 20 minutes, this match. Uh, whereas, match. whereas certain other matches on this card felt like they went on for hours. So we'll get on to that in a second. Um, so anyway, um, now we get a promo between uh, Harley Race and Vader. Vader feels no pain. Uh, Will, I'm guessing you fast-forwarded this. <laughs> I, I did. And uh, any any thoughts on the Vader race dynamic, Chad? I, I like it. I think Harley's a pretty good hype man for Vader in this role, and I thought he did a good job here uh, putting over the danger of Vader. So I enjoyed it as a promo leading into a championship match. Yeah, I, I actually think that he's quite a good guy to put with Vader because he's just like all about legitness, isn't he? And Vader's yeah, got that kind of... I mean, it, it kind of feels like like this established champion badass is now pushing Vader. Uh, so it, it gives him a, an extra oomph of credibility to me. Yeah, no, I, I, I've always thought it was pretty cool that the race had this managerial run here. Um, anyway, um, it's, um, Steamboat. Oh, just, uh, just on the subject of race, wasn't it Lex Luger who went to bat for him when they were, when they thought they were going to cut him at that point? Uh, I, I don't remember that. I, th- I think, I think I remember reading a story that it was Lex Luger who, uh, who went to bat for him. Was he, he was managing Luger for a bit, wasn't he? Yeah, he managed Luger in 91. Um, and I, th- I think Luger like, threatened, threatened that he wouldn't complete his dates unless they kept Harley on. So it was quite interesting. Um, another little thing is that he had his uh, motorcycle accident right around this time. Um, just as he was about to debut for the WBF, uh, he had his motorcycle accident. It's one of the stories I didn't read because it was a WF one. But So anyway. Um, yes, so now we have uh, Steve Williams and Terry Gordy. Uh, who, of course, had already beaten their opponents, the Steiners, in the in the clash. Um, now in the semi-final, taking on Ricky Steamboat and Nikita Koloff. Um, okay, so Will, it's your turn to go first. Okay. Well, first off, I'd say that Terry Gordy was the only one who showed any character in this match. Okay, like he's the only one who seemed like he was trying to get the crowd fired up. Whereas the other guys felt like they were working an exhibition. Nothing, I didn't think anything was really exciting. The mat work was okay, but, you know, like I said, nothing exciting. Um, I didn't think, I'll, I'll give this for Nikita Koloff. He didn't look outclassed, but he definitely didn't stand out. And um, I, fe- I felt the ending felt was really disjointed. And um, if you notice, Doc was out of place when uh, he caught Steamboat. Like, he wasn't ready to catch Steamboat on that... Uh, um, on that uh, spine buster. So, eh, another match I wasn't too enthralled with. Chad? Um, yeah. I, I, so, so, yeah, this is kind of, I guess, I would say this is sort of the make it or break it match of this card. Um, one thing, too, that seems really weird is, I mean, I understand that Doc and Gordy are kind of being, I mean, they're heels, but they're also presented it's just a weird dynamic with them because yeah they are heels but they're also presented so strongly as these tough men wrestlers that they're almost endeared by like the you know ross on commentary and you know with the big 
push. So it's it's an awkward thing. And the fact that they got, um, you know, they beat the Steiners at the Clash. So this is the first match they've wrestled. Meanwhile, I mean, Koloff and Steamboat, like you said, Parv, I mean, it feels like the show's been moving at a pretty brisk pace. So here they are coming right back out again. It feels like we just saw them. Yeah. And now, you know, now they're wrestling again. So that felt a bit unfair. Um, but, but yeah, to me, this, this match is, uh, I mean, this is a long wrestling match. Uh, there is a, the first six or seven minutes are almost exclusively Koloff on the mat with the uh, MVC. And I, I could see Watts kind of going nuts backstage. And I, I, I think I, I know I like Matt work more than you, Parv. Um, <laughs> So it was something that was actually kind of interesting for me to watch to see if Koloff could hang and uh, was more endearing. But but this is a match where, you know, I liked it. I ended up giving it three stars, which may be kind of a crazy rating for some. But I can certainly see the criticism of it because it's a long match. There's, I, mean, I would say the crowd heat is non-existent for this match. I mean, there is... A certain moment when I was watching where the commentators were not talking and you you could hear a pen drop. I mean, it was just deathly quiet uh, <laughs> while they were on the mat wrestling. So so it's a match where I kind like of like a enjoyed pin it. dropping. Yeah, it was it was really bad. So so I kind of enjoyed the match, but I like, like a seventies Japanese crowd. Yes. <laughs> um. Yeah, so you gave you you gave it three stars, Chad. Yes. I also gave it three stars. Otherwise, oh. otherwise, perfectly well worked. Now, I will say that when I watched this match back in the mid two thousands, when I was on my hiatus from watching any current wrestling at all, and just going through old WCW pay per views, I absolutely hated this match. Um, I hated this card. I hated Williams and Gordy. And their, hated? That's a strong their, word. They're fucking chin locks. I really despise this card. And um, I guess a lot has changed between now and then. I mean, for one thing, I've seen about 100 Dory Funk Jr. matches. So, you know, a 20-minute match with this amount of mat work doesn't really seem yeah, that long. Yeah. You know you, you know what boring <laughs> looks like. <laughs> No, that was cheeky. Uh, that's not what I was getting at. Uh, I'm just, uh, but, 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 you, but yes, you know, when you when when you've seen like bloody hour long draws between you know Antonio and Noki and uh, Dory Funk Jr., you you right. cannot complain about uh, you know. Or that like this. Uh, that back one Morocco. Oh one fucking hell! Think about that. Christ. Oh. Talk about a chin lock being. Oh. Or the endless bloody Don Morocco Pedro Morales matches. Oh. Um, so, like, you know, I guess I've seen. Uh, in fact, I'd, I'd say that stuff, the, the Pedro Don Morocco stuff, has, you know, really brought home what truly, truly lazy wrestling looks like, you know? Um, so I don't have so much of a problem with this. I thought it was perfectly alright stuff. Um, yeah, I, I didn't, you know, it, it was perfectly all right it i didn't think it was uh, offensive in any way uh, i tell you somebody who did hate it though dave Meltzer. <laughs> he gave it a dud rating yeah gave it a dud now and see like i mean i think this match like this felt this is a modern comparison but this show and this match in particular this felt like an evolve promotion match in 1992 
and the show does overall because Evolve is a promotion part. They, they have this, you know, this called Grapple Fuck, yeah. but it's uh, Timothy Thatcher and a very map-based wrestling show. And they're yes. and a lot of their shows are held in Florida in front of about seventy people that are not making a lot of crowd heat. So, so maybe I've just become accustomed to that, and that's why I was. Really, well, kind of paying attention to what was going on in the ring with this match. Um, I really, I really want to read Meltzer's rant here because he really goes off on one. He is angry at this match. Okay. He says, he says this is one of the dullest matches I've ever seen involving wrestlers of this caliber that were all trying hard and not blowing up uh, or missing spots. The amateur stuff was fine to set the stage in the beginning, but it lasted way too long. It looked legitimate. But wrestling promoters learned sometime in the 19th century that legitimate wrestling isn't marketable. And that's when someone got the idea for showy moves and started making money. When they finally got heat on Steamboat, there was no crowd reaction. And this is the number two face in the promotion who is a master of getting crowd reaction. At some point during the match, uh, Williams gave Steamboat a move. I think it was a backbreaker. And Steamboat legit hurt his ribs, but no uh, word on how seriously... Um, Koloff made the hot tag at the 15 minute mark and then he controlled on the mat until uh, making a hot tag to Steamboat several minutes later and Steamboat came in for the finish, dud um, now the, the, the stuff about the 19th century and needing showy moves to start making money actually interested me a little bit because you could remix that little rant he had a little bit and you'd get something not unlike my own feelings about shoot style so I, I just thought that it was interesting to see uh, Meltzer uh, make as Meltzer always hated like the shoot style or you know attempts to make wrestling more legitimate or well, is he cha- I know I mean that seems pretty hilarious considering <laughs> now he's more willing to talk about MMA than wrestling yeah because I I thought that like him saying that then seems rather at odds with his UWF stuff now. I- well, yeah, but I, I think, um, I mean, I think then that that's a moment in time rant. Like this match is a personification of if you were against Watts and what he was trying to bring to the table and thinking it was wrong, this is a great match to hold up as evidence because, yeah, there is no crowd reaction. So this is a good piece of evidence to show that this type of wrestling was not going to get over on a mainstream national level. Um, and Watts was just a, a beacon of the past. But just as a match I'm viewing in the ring, I enjoyed it. But but I can understand that. And I think Meltzer took this match as his opportunity to kind of get on his soapbox and go after what Watts was doing. Any thoughts on the Meltzer rant, uh, Will? Repeat <laughs> the question, Parf. Any thoughts on that Meltzer rant about the 19th century and so on? No, here's the, here's the thing with Meltzer. Like I said, I don't value his wrestling opinions. So like when he's ranting about shoot style or whatever, and like, like Chad made a great point about the MMA, it's, I think Meltzer more than anything is a fan of action. You know what yeah, I mean? For yeah. sure. He's a fan of action. So an MMA fight is great if it has a lot of action, right? A wrestling match is great if it has a lot of action. Who cares if the action makes sense or if the moves make sense, but the fact that the action is continuous is what matters to him. 
You see, I see it. You know, he doesn't he doesn't care about things building. You know what I yeah, mean? Even though he can acknowledge do. it and recognize it, he doesn't value it the way that like we would. I, I see in that rant the birth of like Scott Keith and all of those all of those other internet dudes who uh reviewed shows in the late nineties and so on. Because that exi- that is exactly how they would review a match like this as well. Yeah, well, I mean, I don't think in looking over the stuff, I didn't see anybody else rank this match well at all. So, yeah, interesting. Um, okay, so uh, let's move on then to um, the next match, which is uh, Dustin Rhodes and Barry Windham taking on Hase and Hashimoto. And I've just written in my notes here, oh my god, look at this, it's a PWO dream match. <laughs> On paper, you'd, you'd think. Um, so I think it's you first, Chad. Okay. Um, this and this was one where I looked at all the uh, looked at all the review. I mean, I watched I watched this match twice because my first when I first watched it, I really enjoyed it. And then I uh, looked at the reviews and saw basically everybody crap on it, and I thought I may have missed something. Went back and watched it again and kind of reaffirmed my opinion. Um, so Hase and Dustin start out. I thought the great wrestling uh, to start out with both of them. And then I really liked the Hashimoto versus Wyndham pairing. Um, I, I thought that was just like a cool dynamic. They both looked like very large wrestlers, uh, you know, giant men kind of going out there and doing athletic strikes and exchanges. Uh, Hashimoto versus Dustin got into a boxing contest, which I thought was uh, really cool. And I thought Hashimoto showed a lot of fire in this match. He came back with some kicks, including a spinning kick right to the face of Dustin. We got a spike pile driver, um, and th- and then I thought the work that they did over Dustin again. This was a match where, yeah, they didn't get amazing heat from the crowd, um, but I thought the actual work they were doing, the double team moves, the tagging in and out, the strikes, the spike pile driver, and everything else, a nice suplex. I thought it was really effective. And slowly but surely, you did see the crowd start to kind of get behind Dustin. Um, we get a double suplex by the Japanese duo. Dustin's finally able to make the hot tag. I thought Wyndham had some great power moves in his uh, fire sequence against Hase, and he catches Hase with a huge lariat to win. I, I legitimately thought this match was great. I went four stars. I, th- wow. I thought it was a blast. I absolutely... Um, it's a match on paper that seems odd, but it lived up to it for me. I thought it was great. Uh, showing by the Japanese duo. They looked vicious in their attack, and I thought the uh, babyface team of Wyndham and Dustin showed great fire, both in selling by Dustin and the comeback by Wyndham. Wow, that's a, that is a pretty high rating, uh, Chad, high, higher than I've gone. Uh, Will, what, what did you make of this one? Man, I, I thought this was a fun match. Um, I thought the arm work was sweet like i love the fact that all of these guys were focusing on each other's arms yeah. i think my only criticism of that is it didn't go anywhere it was all forgotten you know what i mean um but i, I enjoyed it while they were doing it and i'm not one of those guys who feels that limb work has to lead to the finish or anything but it didn't even feel like they were selling any arm damage like anybody at the time i mean would you disagree with that chad 
Yeah, I, I mean, I understand it, but um, yeah, that's interesting. I because I think like the way they were working over the arm of Hase was kind of it felt like one of those like NWA '80s tags with like uh, Anderson and Tully, where they would really do that delayed long term arm selling. And I'm just not sure if Hase. I mean, in in Japan, it feels well, like I'm, they sell more for I'm not even thinking about just Hase, you know. I'm I'm thinking about like uh like like even like uh look, look at them when they were working over Wyndham, right? And then uh Hashimoto, okay. I mean, he was awesome attacking Wyndham's arm. I mean, did you see him like looking for the pop, like he was trying to get the pop from the crowd before yeah, he hooked it was up not the, happening. The, before he but right before he got the uh, uh triangle choke arm hold on or whatever, and yeah, the crowd just wasn't with them, you know. And then, uh, then when Dustin came in, he attacks Hashimoto's arm, and I love the theme of this. Don't get me wrong. Um, another problem I had with this match uh, is that, you know, Dustin gets nailed by that spike pile driver, right? Mm-hmm. He's literally on offense less than a minute later, like maybe thirty seconds later. And um, <clears throat> I, I really thought that um, they could have been more vicious in attacking Dustin before uh, he hit that really sweet lariat and then got the hot tag. And so um, I thought it was a fun match, man. I enjoyed it. I was glad I watched it. But I thought that there were things that kept it from being like a better match on the show. And I thought the finish was weak, too. So um, I thought that was kind of sad. And so, yeah, um, fun tag match. But right now I have it third out of the four we've seen so far. Yeah, I mean... It's funny you mentioned that that uh, arm, the, the the limb work there, because uh, as you know, Chad, I, I watched quite a lot of Hase matches recently, and uh, that is really a hallmark of of basically every single match of his that I've seen. Like he he, apart from Arn Anderson, I can't think of a wrestler who does more consistent limb focus work than he does. Um, almost to the point where he he is like in some ways almost like a like a Japanese Anderson, even though he doesn't look or work like an Anderson. He he does do that kind of focused limb work consistently. Um, but I, I do want to say that it does kind of go missing in the middle of this match. I, I do think Will is right about that. Um, and I, I would actually say that is something that seems to be a recurring theme in all the Hasse matches that I've seen, which is that the first six to seven, eight minutes will be really focused. And then it sometimes kind of goes missing in the second half. Um so that that could be a that could be a holdover of that new Japan style that they have, where you, you always get the, the, the kind of token mat stuff in the first eight minutes. Do, do you know what I mean? I, like it seems like every single new Japan match is structured like that. So uh, just something to think about. Um, but uh, yeah, I gave this a three and a half stars. I thought it was a, a good match. Um, I was surprised to see you go as high as four. I did enjoy, I did enjoy the uh, the the face in peril on uh, Dustin. I thought it was uh, really pretty good, um, but I didn't see anything that would put this above. You know, maybe if it had gone like another five minutes and had a hotter finish, I could I could see it getting up into the four star region. But uh, probably a tiny bit too short for that, and you know didn't feel that consequential in the overall scheme of things. Uh, M- Meltzer really didn't like it. He gave it two stars. Yeah, well, 
don't hate anything like that. I, I mean, I, I like the time, though. I forget because Meltzer. This, yeah, this was one of the, I mean, besides the Freebirds match, I think this is the shortest match on the card. But I still thought it was given, I mean, to me, it was given enough time. I mean, I kind of like uh, when someone gets the hot tag and then the finishes pretty closely after that. Um, that's something I enjoy. Yeah, one thing I forgot to mention, by the way, because um, we uh, we got into talking about something else, is that um, on that uh, Gordy and Williams match against uh, Steamer and Koloff, one thing that angered me slightly was seeing Steamboat pinned clean on this show. I didn't like that. Um, just as a booking thing, seemed absolutely ridiculous to me for the number two babyface in the company who is coming off the back of a hot streak to be cleaned, to be pinned clean by a tag worker. I didn't like that at all. Um, any thoughts on that? I, I guess it's something that uh, modern WE fans wouldn't even think about, but I, I, don't, I don't like seeing top guys pinned easily, you know? Yeah, I mean, I guess you would prefer Koloff, right? But I don't know. I'd, I'd actually prefer a little bit of protection for them. You know, should you count out? DQ. It didn't have to be a clean finish on that match. I mean, how 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 much do you want to put Gordy and Williams over? They have to pin. They have to pin. That you know, they've just won one set of world titles. They're about to win a second world, uh, uh, second set of world titles, and they have to pin Ricky Steamboat on top of it. It just seems like overkill to me. On the, it, it's like Christ. They they've just gone through everybody. Well, I think. I mean, once yeah, Steamboat getting pinned may have not have been the best decision, but. As we'll see with this match, uh, after this match, it's a pretty heel-heavy finish uh, for the rest of the show. So I guess that was the Watts narrative that he was trying to push um, at this time was monster heels, both in the tag and the single ranks. And any thoughts, uh, Will? Would you, I mean, if you were booking this, would you have protected Steamer a bit more there? Yeah, but, but I, I think that goes back to the whole philosophy of Watts and who he chose to promote anyway. You know what I mean? I don't think Watts valued Steamboat, even though Steamboat, you would think, old school, a uh, big draw, 80s draw, would be a guy that Watts valued. You know what I mean? Mm. Like, I don't I don't think he valued him. Why is that? Because he only did 5,000 in the New Orleans uh, Superdome? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, the 5,000, it was much less than that, wasn't it? I think it was five thousand. They get five or six. Okay. I think it was five thousand in like a twenty thousand seat stadium. But the point is, is that it was he Steamboat wasn't a Watts hire. He's not a Watts guy. You know what I mean? So yeah. he's he's like you said earlier. He's trying to to push his weight around, and he's going to do it with his guys and everybody that was there before. Be damned. It really, that, that that is one of the things on this show that really makes me angry. I mean, the, the booking of the whole thing makes me angry. Drives but, me nuts. Drives but, me nuts. But that, that, I mean, it's overkill to have so much, you know, like, why not have him beat, why not have them beat Sting, for God's sake, you know? It, it's like they're one step away from it. Anyway, um, <laughs> uh, speaking of Sting, um, now it's time for him uh, versus uh, Vader. And um, this is for the WCW title, of course. And um, I think it's your turn, uh, Will, to go on this one. Yeah, um, there, there are a lot of things to love about this match, right? A very classic matchup. By far, Sting's best opponent is Vader, right? Is there anyone even close? Don't say Flair, because it's not close. 
No, you won't get that out of either of us. Okay, just saying. I just want just want to make sure that that's established. Um, I loved it. I loved the big the big time atmosphere. I, I think Vader. Um, for for I don't want to say he's relatively unknown because Vader had been being he was being built up, but Vader acted and felt big time. And you know, I mean, these guys are milking the crowd just by teasing a test of strength at the beginning, right? Classic Hogan one oh one oh one, right? Yep. And then um then later on you you have Sting channeling his best Roddy Piper, poking the eyes, stomping the foot, the big roundhouse punch. And it works. It all works. Okay. Um each lockup they had was like its own little mini battle with each guy winning. And and that's kind of how it felt up until Vader dropped his big ass on Sting's chest, right? And then after that, then it's the Vader show where he just kind of dominates and destroys this poor guy. You know, his his, his death, his uh, Scorpion Deathlock looked a little weak, but you know, I mean, hey, gotta give him credit because if he would have sat down on Sting, he would have probably broken the guy's back. So uh, we'll, we'll forgive that. But um, I loved it. I loved the Sting's comeback. Um, I loved uh, Sting. Uh, you know, catching them for that Samoan drop spot where he just, again, milks the crowd. Like, these guys work that really quiet crowd into a into a hot crowd. And, um, man, his I thought his German suplex looked really great as well. And then the final powerbomb from Vader to put it away, really great stuff. Um, watching it, because I watched this and the um, uh, Wyndham Rhodes versus Rude Austin tag at the same time, I thought they were comparable star rating-wise or quality-wise. But, you know, maybe maybe I'm overrating the other match. Maybe I'm underrating this one a little bit. But I really enjoyed both matches, you know. I mean, on any given day, maybe I need to rewatch that tag match a second time, you know, where maybe some of the the luster wears off. But I don't, I don't think so, man. I, I, I enjoyed that one. I enjoyed this one. By far the two best matches on the show. Yeah, I'll just mention uh, quickly that the, the uh, according to Meltzer, the reason that Vader didn't bend down while applying the Scorpion Deathlock uh, is because his knee is in bad shape uh, and he couldn't actually. Oh, fair enough. So that's why I guess that's why I look weak. <laughs> um, Chad, uh, do you think this one holds up? Yeah, I mean, I think this is. I don't maybe the series I'm most looking forward to uh, rewatching um, for the duration of our entire pay-per-views that we have left and i i just think this is kind of a classic uh you know champion that still fights like a champion shows a lot of heart you know finally sting feels kind of destined in this role where he's an underdog but he is the champion and i thought it really kind of played well with his promo from the clash of getting the crowd behind him and that kind of turns the tables to where Vader then becomes the underdog. And he showed a lot of tenacity here and Vader just looked like a complete beast. Um, so, so they went back and forth, but one thing I appreciate about this match is I also think it left a lot in the tank. So while it's a great match, it also felt like a really great chapter one in the feud too, where the baby face, you know, is defeated, uh, cleanly by the heel but there's still room left to be i mean i you think about the uh, john cena versus brock lesnar match from SummerSlam a couple years ago i mean that was a uh, just such a amazing spectacle to watch because i'd never seen 
kind of a decimation on that level. But, you know, when they fought again the next month, it was it was a thinking of, well, I mean, did you not see what happened the previous month? Whereas with this match, it's it's another heel championship victory, but it definitely left just enough kind of opportunity that you could see some open for Sting where he could have the advantage. Uh, so, so I really thought this was great. Probably one of the, I mean, we've had some great matches. Part this one, I had it four and a half stars. I, yeah. I thought it was tremendous. Yeah, um, one thought that I had at the start of this, actually, because I, I think it's fair to say, Chad, that we have been at times very critical of Sting on this show since, sure. since the start. And one of the things that we've constantly dogged him for is just being put in the role and floundering, basically, right. like not feeling not feeling as big as he should as a star, not being as not being able to live up to the crowd's reaction to him and so on. But now here in '92. He's finally started to feel like the the man for the first time, and um, as the match started, Jr. actually put over Flair as a legendary wrestler. In a rare moment of uh, mentioning a guy currently working for the competition and not burying him, which I thought was quite interesting. In fact, they mentioned Flair so much in this show. I'm wondering if they were starting to think about getting him back. <laughs> um, but the thought of Flair actually made me think. Well. Did Sting need Flair to leave in order to start? Because it's interesting, isn't it? He didn't start feeling like he was kind of the man until Flair left. And maybe he needed Flair to be gone in order to grow into the role. Does that make sense? Anyone, have you ever heard that before? I mean, it, it's weird. I, I don't know if it's a combination of that or he just kind of just in this year he was given some of the best material he's ever been able to work with that fits him, his personality. I I mean, when he won, sure, he floundered when he won the title in 90, but, I mean, he was in the Black Scorpion angle. I don't don't know if anybody could have gotten that over. It's, it's... Right. I, I, I mean, I think you can only do as good as your material is. And and, and I, I, I know some people would probably throw up his 1998 run, but, I mean, once he gets back in the ring, you have the Starcade 97 debacle, and then right after that, it, it's, it's a shit show for him where they hold the title up, he didn't even definitively beat Hogan, and then a few months later, he's joining the Wolf Pack against people he was against for so long, and he's doing the Wolf Pack, the Wolf Ears, and screaming, and you know it, it was just awful. So, it, I mean, I, I don't know. I'm, I, I don't feel like I'm a sting apologist, but uh, this this certainly feels like a year where he was given good material to work with, and he lived up to it, which is commendable of him as in the current. We, we should also say as well, the injury in February of 91 knocked his momentum dead as well. Right. Um, so, yeah, that, that, I guess injury... Oh, the, yeah, the uh, the February 90 clash. I mean, no, no, it's, oh, that one, yeah. Right, right. That, that kind of hurt him as well, because he wasn't quite yeah, the same. No, I, mean, I mean, I don't think he was quite ready then. I think we both saw that with the shows we've watched, that he wasn't uh, necessarily ready to be the guy and Flair was just adamant that he was going to give the title to him instead of Luger. 
Um, so, so I don't think at that time he was still ready, even if he'd have had a, a red hot feud coming off Great American Bash '90. But uh, it seems like he's kind of grown into that role here in '92. And uh, like, like I said in this match, I thought he showed just enough vulnerability, but still looked really, uh, you know, really heroic in defeat. Yeah, I, I thought this. I mean, this remains a great match. Um, I've never thought it was a five star affair. Um, and I have it exactly the same rating as you, Chad, four and a half. Um, do people go higher on the, 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 the? There's another match in this series that is t- typically people go higher on. I, I think. I, I think. I mean, this it does feel like the, uh, in some ways, the Flair Steamboat '89 series, where you could get any combination of the three. Um, I, I haven't watched, I mean, I know the Starcade match a lot of people really like, and that's the one I'm the least familiar with. So I'm really looking forward to rewatching that one. Um, I rewatched the Super Brawl match with the yearbook, uh, about a year ago and I thought it was fantastic. I went four and three quarters on it a year ago. So we'll see if that holds true. Uh, yeah. when we get there, but uh, I mean, I could see if, if this is someone's favorite, I wouldn't, you know, roll my eyes or think that was outrageous at all. Yeah, I, I think Sting is a perfect foe for Vader, uh, and this is by far his most effective role uh, as kind of the underdog babyface. And I think that's something else that you don't really think about is that when he's against Flair, he has to be the guy who's dominating, doing the gorilla press slams and right. the rest of it. Whereas here, he's the guy who's making the comebacks and having to sell and so on and so forth. Um, also, it should be said that German suplex still looks really sweet all these years later. I mean, it's pretty impressive to see like an almost 400 pound guy German suplexed. Um, so it, I, I, I still think that's a really cool spot. Um, but yeah, it, it holds up basically. One, one thing I think with Sting is, um, I think when he's in with someone that can not, not like a out of control brawl, but somebody that will kind of match him for stiffness. I think that really ups his game uh, because the Cactus Jack match, while we didn't think it was a classic at Beach Blast, we both liked it, and that's a more stiff match. Um, you have this series with Vader, and then I'm thinking something like even the match he has with Regal at Great American Bash 96. That's another hidden gem match where Regal you know, kind of forces something out of Sting with the gritty mount work and the strikes. It uh, kind of forces Sting to be more stiff and more aggressive. And I feel like Sting excels in that environment. Well, any thoughts on it? Do you think uh, Sting has any other career highlights that get anywhere close to these Vader matches? No. <laughs> None at all. <laughs> Not even that Not Regal really. match? I, mean, I know you're a big Regal guy. I, the Regal stuff, but um, but it, it doesn't come close to this. Because one, it was a mid-card uh, feud, right? Yeah, you know, it was clearly a mid card feud to keep Sting spinning his wheels. It wasn't meant to elevate Regal, or it wasn't like Regal was a main eventer, you know, to challenge Sting, or like they. It wasn't like they built him up they the way they built JBL up to to meet Eddie Guerrero, you know, as just an example of like building the mid carder up to a main eventer, you know. It was. Okay, Sting, we're going to drop you to the mid card while we let this NWO stuff play out until we need you for the NWO stuff. Yeah. 
You know what I mean? And and the, the Regal matches were great, and but it doesn't hold the same importance. And, and even then, I could look at stuff like Regal versus Larry Zabisco and think, well, that smokes Regal versus Sting. Mm-hmm. You know, Regal versus Finley. Well, that kind of smokes Regal versus Sting. So. Did, um, I mean, yeah, did, Sting when he has the brown hair and it's like tagging with Luger and stuff, um, like before the NWO, like while uh-huh. while Hogan is the babyface. I think that's quite a sad little period in Sting's. It just feels like such a forgotten guy during that time, you know. Yeah, well, I mean, the, well, the new boss was Hogan, right? And until yeah. Sting became Hogan's adversary, that's what he was going to be. He was always going to be second or third fiddle. Yeah. All right. Um, so, um, why don't we move on then? I think we're all agreed that that is, uh, uh, you know, a match still well worth watching. And uh, I did, I, I did actually like uh, Harley's post-match promo as well, when he says, you know, Vader is now the the man of the moment in pro wrestling. I thought it was, just sounded pretty good coming from him. Yep. So, I was impressed with uh, Harley's work on this show. So and now we're getting on to our main event, I guess. Um, the uh, Gordy and Williams taking on uh, Dustin Rhodes and Barry Windham for the NWA uh, World Tag Team Titles that nobody gives a shit about. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Chad. Yeah. So I mean, I'm if you can go back and listen to my ratings of this show. I've been very kind to this show. I've enjoyed it a good deal. Um, this is the one match that was kind of a bummer to me. First off, I think Ole Anderson, he's the special guest referee here, and absolutely awful. I mean, he, he's <laughs> just terrible as a referee. His count, the cadence on his count is completely awkward. Uh, it throws the guys off with their kickouts. He's out of position a ton. I, 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 I mean, like, we both hated Konitsky in the Starcade 83 match. Yeah. And I think this is right up there. I mean, I think Konitsky was trying more to get himself over. I just think Ole was just kind of a bumbling idiot here and didn't really know what to do um, and how to be an effective referee. But, but he I, was terrible. I, th- I think you're wrong, Chad. I think what you're seeing there is senior advanced refereeing. He's just not on the level that you're used to seeing. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I mean, that's some of his pins was straight out of the Bronco Lubitsch uh, playbook for sure. <laughs> kind of getting down on one knee and barely counting. Um, yeah, he he sucked. I, I mean, in the match too. I mean these these are four guys that I all like, but and just just after watching this match and uh, with the previous singles match and the high of that. It just felt like we we'd finally seen for me one one tag match too many, um, and and you have another hill victory that doesn't feel near as compelling or fulfilling as the previous one. Uh, so overall, this was kind of a damper on the night. I, I ended up giving this one two stars. It was actually my worst uh, rated match of the night. Uh, well, yeah. Well, first off, let's get this out of the way. It was complete bullshit that Rhodes and Wyndham had to wrestle three times in one night, and Doc and Gordy only wrestled twice, right? Right, yeah. I'm I mean, that's fair. complete garbage. That's garbage. You know, it doesn't it doesn't help Doc and Gordy's case that these guys hung with them for 20 minutes. 
or 25 minutes or however long this really long match lasted. And it doesn't help Rhodes and Wyndham, you know, because they didn't win. So it wasn't like the underdogs pulled out the upset. They, they essentially had to work an hour tonight. Yeah. Rhodes yeah. and Wyndham. I just didn't realize and, that. And, and good for them because those are two great guys to be able to work an hour and keep things interesting, you know. Um, I will say this, you know, like um, I kind of like this match in a vacuum, you know. Uh, I thought there was some nastiness here. You know, there's a early spot where like Doc just puts his knee to Wyndham's Wyndham's neck was going to snap. You know, um, I like how Dustin uh, kept going uh, back to to Terry Gordy's leg earlier on. You know, um, every time uh, he had a shot, um, I thought that they beat up Barry Wyndham too long. Like the face and peril section was really long and kind of drawn out. I was kind of losing interest. Remember, I was talking about earlier, like you know, you start checking your texts, you start looking to see what's on TV, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but um, I thought Dustin was pretty great, whether he was on offense or whether he was fighting off the Doc and Gordy. I thought Dustin was kind of like the MVP of this match. And I really liked the ending, like a lot. Like, I thought this was the best ending, besides that Vader powerbomb, to any of the tag match. Okay, so this was, to me, the best ending of the tag matches, you know? Because you have Wyndham preventing Doc from hitting the stampede because he hits the drop kick for that you know close fall right right the D- Dustin then gets up he's gonna go for the bulldog only to knock noggins with Gordy which sends Gordy shooting outside but then turns around and, and gets hit with that vicious lariat by Doc for the pin like execution wise um not the smoothest but I really liked the way it all kind of fit together and felt natural so I thought if they would have knocked off about five more minutes of this match, it would have been remembered more fondly. You know, like knocked off some of that Barry and Barrel section. I think people would probably rave about this match more, but it was just way too long. Yeah, I do. And, so- and as y'all mentioned earlier, wrong spot on the show. Will seemed like the high vote on this one because I absolutely hate this match. It's so boring, so long. Um, it's like, ugh. I don't know, this one match makes this whole card go from seeming like a fairly kind of sprightly two-hour card to just feeling like a three-hour... I I hated this match. It's so long and rest-holdy and absolutely no heat at all. The crowd is burnt. Hold hold on, I think you should get another cup of tea and rewatch it with me one day. You and I will sync up across the pond... We'll watch it together. I mean, it, the crowd was burnt out. Well, they'd had enough. They'd had enough of seeing these two, you know, beasts being shoved down their throats. Rhodes and Wyndham were absolutely knackered. I mean, don't don't forget, this is the this is essentially after like wrestling, forty minutes already for them two. They were tired. Um, I don't know. I just think that, that this was just. It's just like that one thing too many um, on the card, like like Chad said. I mean, I gave it two stars as well, but uh, really, I, I do hate this match. Um, for a match you hate, for a match you hate, two stars seems kind of high. Yeah, well, I mean, some some of the some of the work and so on was was all right, you know, in a vacuum. But I mean, the experience of watching it at the end of this long long card. 
Right. Well, you know, well, to be fair, I did watch this uh, show for this for this podcast in three separate parts. Right. Yeah. So. So so maybe in a vacuum, maybe if you and I just sync up and watch it as a singles match, and you, you kind of get over the the rest old thing, uh, maybe you'll enjoy it a little bit more. So uh, yeah, we we should have mentioned uh, that Meltzer went a three quarters of one star for that one, and. Um, <laughs> Yeah, we should have mentioned the Steiners came out at the beginning as well. Um, And uh, I think there's quite a lot to talk about with the overall booking of the show. Um, Hold on, hold on. Before we get to the booking, our buddy Charles uh, wrote kind of... Yes, yes. Well, I I was going to read that out um, in in a moment. So we're going to get to this uh, in in a second. Okay, let's talk about the booking. But uh, just before we get to that, Meltzer does mention that notable by their absence on this card were Paulie Dangerously, Missy Hyatt, The Ramp, and the elaborate set designs and all the other trappings of the Jim Herder era. Um, and I, I do think that is one thing that we should mention, is the look of this show. We Drap. do We do look like we're back in the 70s, don't we? If you just look at the set and I, the way... I, well, well, actually, I would say it looks like Watts... UWF national show from 86. Would you agree with that, Chad? Yeah. I mean, I, I think from a presentation standpoint, you got a dark crowd. Uh, you got no mats on the outside, no snazzy production. Um, this, this looks like a, you know, 1985 Tulsa show in a lot of ways to me. Um, certainly could be that way. I, I mean, the fact that we didn't really comment on it, but this show being in, Albany or Albany, Georgia, as call it. Uh, it's just, it's an odd, odd kind of choice. I mean, that's about the fourth biggest town in Georgia, uh, a, a smaller arena. Um, I don't, it just seems like an odd choice for a show to me. I mean, why not have it in the Omni? Mm. Yeah, the Great American Bash in some town I haven't heard of. Um, so, th- anyway, um, th- now there's lots of things to talk about with the booking of this show and uh, as will mentioned uh, our buddy charles um who um has lots of things to say about this show uh sent us a statement that he would like to read out um and i'm trying to get to that statement right now hold on the message has gone on to two pages here we go so here's what loss has to say okay Had Bill Watts' return to wrestling been a successful one, we would look back on this show as a necessary sacrifice in restoring his vision. He was willing to sacrifice match quality and crowd response in the short term to build to a long-term vision where rules mattered, mat work was meaningful, and high spots received more of a reaction because of their reduced frequency. Instead, we look back on it as a disappointing show Rightfully so to an extent, but I think we have to include that asterisk. The in-ring style was conceived as a step backwards to lead to several steps forward in the future. I think it can easily be argued that Watts was the last guy in the history of American wrestling to really think about the art form in such a purposeful and detailed way. Promoters tend to focus on funny gimmicks, star creation, finishes, production values and many other facets of wrestling presentation that are admittedly very important. However, 
as the 1990s progressed, I do think everyone in a position of power in wrestling forgot that the in-ring action can be useful in doing more than just filling time on a card or going in a highlight reel. Sometimes it's the most effective way to get from point A to point B. And that's what Charles says very eloquently too. Now, reactions to that statement. I'll go to you first, Chad. Um, yeah, I mean, this, this show overall is, is really a complexing show for my mind as a wrestling fan because, like, you know, I mean, I mean, you talk about a no-nonsense show, you have it here. There's seven matches, all the matches are given time, and there's so many times, like in watching pay-per-views that WWE put on, in the past, I guess, 10 to 15 years where, you know, I've made the comment of, like, enough with, you know, I'm paying for this bullshit. Like, when you see a Divas match or you see even something like the uh, the evening gown match between the Briscoe and Patterson. I mean, there, there's, there's certain stuff that just feels like it's always going to be filler in a WWE pay-per-view. And I think they've gotten... A little better with that actually going to the network shows but it still remains there where you're not going to get a show like this where i mean this is a two hour and 50 show and probably two hours of that is pure wrestling so from that standpoint uh in my mind as a purist and the person that always kind of thinks of myself of you know like in the greatest wrestler forever i'm only judging based on in ring you know, I, I put the action first or the in-ring uh, wrestling first over the personality or the angles. I kind of consider myself an in-between-the-ropes type guy with judging wrestling. But on the other hand, um, this show was not a critical success at all. It felt it, it didn't feel like a hot show at all based on the crowd. And it's kind of lingered as that show in retrospect with different reviews and when people revisit the show there's a sense of you know this was just bill watch trying to push his image arrest and it showed how dated and out of touch he was and and i certainly see that so there's kind of two minds i have with this show overall and it 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 really is kind of conflicting maybe i do value character work and slick presentation and hot angles and other uh, ancillary aspects of wrestling more than I thought I did. Will, any uh, thoughts on uh, Charles's uh, comments? Well, well, I think there's something to what Charles said, but I think the reality is Watts just chose the wrong horses. He chose the the ones that weren't over. He chose his own guys, like we were talking about throughout the show, right? The theme of the show. Um, I understand that he was trying to go in a new direction, but it was a new direction with old talent. You know what I mean? And it wasn't a creative direction like the NWO was like a new direction with old talent, right? But it worked, and it was cool, and it was clever. Watts, uh, you know, was trying to build up this momentum, like Charles said, but it wasn't a momentum that anybody wanted. Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, the, the person who comes into my mind reading this is um, Johnny Valentine. Now, you, you all hear stories about Jolly, Johnny Valentine coming into various different areas. 
And at first the fans are just hating him and being bored out of their minds and all the rest of it. But within a couple of months, he brings them around to kind of be like get into his style of wrestling. And clearly that's what Bill Watts was going for here, right? It's like, it's that old school, like Johnny Valentine style. Look, you're going to like this. You may think you don't like it, but we're going to make you like it type thing. And what happens? I mean, he doesn't really get to see through the vision, I guess. Or he gets cold feet because, you know, by Halloween Havoc, we've got to spin the wheel, make the deal and all this. So right. I guess he, he pussies out of doing the Johnny Valentine. So we, I guess we'll never know if it could work. Um, well, well, what we do know is that it failed. Well, well, I guess Loss's point, uh, uh, Charles's point is that if this was a necessary failure, but, you know, give it four or five more cards of this and maybe you'll turn them around type thing. Yeah, maybe. I mean... Uh, yeah. But did it look Super like... But, hold, on, hold on, Chad. And I'll ask you this too. But didn't it look like Kip Fry was on the right path? Like, may, may, at least in terms of the way he was rewarding wrestlers, giving us these super hot cards. Like, I feel like the Kip Fry was kind of doing the same thing, but in the right direction. Yeah, well, well, I mean, Kip, Kip Fry is my hero, so I guess, yes. Like, how, how long was Kip Fry in power before? <laughs> like, he, three months or something? Yeah. what I'm saying? Less, Did Kip Fry's vision not. really have a chance to play out? Well, I mean, it's, it's hard to say, isn't it? Because he had, like, one or two hot shows, and then he was gone. Now Watts has come in, and within a couple of shows, he's turned it to... See, the thing is, is that I'm not, like... I'm kind of split on this, because that last match really gives me a sour taste in the mouth. I really dislike that match. And it kind of colours the rest of the card. But I look back through my ratings, and, you know, Sting Vader's four and a half. Um... The, 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 the Japanese versus uh, Wyndham and Rhodes, I gave uh, three and a half. Um, the Rude uh, Austin versus Wyndham Rhodes, I gave three and a half. And um, the, the the opener, I gave three stars. And, you know, it's not actually that often that I'd give, what, four matches on a card, on a seven-match card, over three stars. I mean, that's a pretty good batting average. That's uh, a great show. So, so that makes it good, but I really hate the pushing of Doc and Gordy down our throats. Nobody cared. Nobody cared about the NWA titles. Nobody gave Doc a and Gordy gave us no reason to care either. Doc and Gordy, I mean, I was actually thinking about why Doc and Gordy feel so weird, like, as heels. Something doesn't feel right. And it occurred to me that they don't have a manager for a start. Like, how many times do you see two big, beefy guys like that who are heels who don't have a little chicken shit running around helping to get them heat? So we don't really have... They're not that... Like, they're just two big, big, big kind of bullies, basically. There's not much to boo there, you know? Give them, like, I don't know, a Jim Cornette or a Paulie or someone well, to... Yeah, I mean, they're pushed so heavily on commentary, too. It's like, I mean... It's like, how do you boo these guys? They're you, you've got, just the you, best wrestlers in the world. You've got Jim Ross literally wanking over Steve Williams, like, all the way through the show. Right. It's, I mean, it's... I don't know. So, I've always disliked this card for that reason more than anything else, is that, like, the relentless Doc and Gordy pushing. Um, 
and the fact that it goes nowhere because we know these NWA tag titles get dissolved within what a couple of weeks. Yeah, yeah. Just, I mean, uh, it's so it's, a that's all that it's such a waste of time. Um, and uh, but you know the undercard's really very enjoyable. So I think it's a case of like the booking and one match kind of coloring a card. And also, I've, I'm now wondering how much Meltzer's own hatred of this entire card has played into the way people think about it. Yeah, he's well, he's the trendsetter. You know, so, that's what that's what Meltzer does. Here, I want to propose a new card. Okay, using the talent on this show. Right. And y'all tell me if this was, and I'm only going to add two guys that weren't on this show. So no cactus, you know. Uh, but I have had two guys that were before, before you go on this, well, one more thing as well, uh, on the, on the subject of the booking, I thought it was really poor booking to have Vader winning followed by Doc and Cordy winning two heels going over and I mean, I've just written triple H eat your heart out. I mean, what was, what was Watts even thinking? Like, like no, no baby face wins on this card at all. It's just ridiculous. Right. I mean, anyway, yeah, get, get, I agree. carry on. Take it. I just saw it. it's like rare that you well, see. Well, no, no. Well, well, well. If if we do a thumbs up, <laughs> thumbs down, like we do on the reaction shows, I'll say it like I do on the reaction shows. Thumbs up for the wrestling. Thumbs down for the booking. Right. 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 Okay. But look, look at this. This is my new proposed card. Using the talent that was on this show, but adding one match with two guys that weren't on the show. So I would start with Rude and Austin versus Rhodes and Wyndham. You know, so that was a hot tag match in this show. I would keep that tag match. Plus, you have a hot opener, right? Right. Then right. I would actually have Doc and Gordy play up to their strengths, and I'd have them face the Japanese team. Hey, two two guys who are legends in Japan against two hot Japanese guys. There might have been some politics with all Japan and New Japan. I don't care. But then you have a match where, like, Hase and Hashimoto can kind of let loose because that's what they do against Doc and Gordy, right? Right. Don't you think that would have been a pretty good match? Who, who would have been the down? baby who would have been the baby faces in that match? Good shit, man. It's gonna be Hashimoto kicking heads off and Doc ripping guys' heads off with Lariats. I'm happy with it. You know? All right, all right. Then then instead of having Liger and Pillman as partners, you can have a Ligon versus Pillman rematch because they'd had the match earlier in the year. Right? Yep. Okay. Then you could have had Michael Hayes with Jimmy Garvin on the outside versus Ricky Steamboat with Nikita Koloff on the outside. And I just wanted to put Michael Hayes in the singles because I love Michael Hayes. And Ricky Steamboat would have carried a decent match out of him. You know, they had just shown on TV in the last month or so Larry Zabisco uh, leaving the Dangerous Alliance, right? So why not have an, a grudge match between Larry Zabisco and Arn Anderson to give that kind of a proper blow-off? It's just occurred to me Arn's not even on this card. No, he's not. Neither is Larry Zabisco, who's freaking great in 1992. You would have the Battle of the Enforcers. Neither is Bobby Eaton. And it would have been a hot match, right? Mm. Yeah, and I can see that. Then then I would have had the tag finals, right, with Gordy and Doc versus Rude and Austin. And I would, like I said, I would have lobbed off about five to seven minutes. Okay? And I, I, I like the match a lot more than you two, dude. So whatever. And then I would have finished with Vader Sting, which the crowd was hot for. And I think with my card, same people, one one match with uh, Arn versus Larry, you would have had one of the most memorable cards in WCW history. Yeah, no, it sounds like a good card. I mean, the the thing is with the '92 roster is that it's hard to go wrong. 
So it's amazing that at times they do that go they wrong. They went wrong, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, wow. Yeah, one other thing I wanted to say about the the, the original booking of this card is that... Um, All right, yeah, let, let's say it, then I'm going to have to wrap it up, guys. Yeah, even though Sting doesn't uh, it, it win and uh, gets beaten cleanly... It's a rare case where uh, heel wins, and I don't think Sting was hurt at all by the loss, even though he lost the title. I, I think that he, they, they somehow worked that, so that Sting came out of it with like retaining his heat, if that makes any sense. Yeah, no, that's fair. Agree. So let's let's quickly go through our end of show awards then. Here, the match of the night. I think there's no doubt. Is anybody not going with Sting versus Vader? I already already mentioned earlier that I like that Rude Austin versus Rhodes Wyndham tag maybe comparable to that match, but like uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't say Sting Vader is the wrong choice because I think it you know I have to rewatch the tag match but initial viewing I thought the tag match was just as good if not better. And now MVP that's interesting because several guys work double duty some guys work triple duty. Chad. Yeah, we had a uh, we had. Like you said, some guys, uh, I think there's some good candidates, but I'm actually going to go with Vader. Um, I, th- I think this was kind of his moment. He was going to be the uh, heel champion going forward, and he delivered a big-time performance, looked huge. Uh, Sting, Sting would be my number two choice, actually, too. Uh, we didn't really touch on it much, but I love the selling once he hits the uh, post. I thought he's great in the last like two minutes of that match with the selling, but uh, Vader's my choice. Will, your MVP? I'm going to go with Dustin Rhodes, man. I thought Dustin uh, worked great in all of the ma- or looked great in all of his matches, you know. And Barry Windham would be my second, you know, having to wrestle three times in one night. And and like I said, I, li- I like the matches more than y'all did with Dustin and Barry. So that would be those those would be my guys. Um, yeah, I, I actually think I'm going to go with Sting. Uh, very rare uh, time that I give Sting MVP, but. It's got to be one of his career performances, hasn't it? Yeah. Um, that match. So the selling, the, his execution yep. of moves, everything. Um, and then finally, our Billy Graham Award for the worst worker on the card. Uh, Chad? Yeah, I'm, this is tough. Um, I, didn't, I didn't think there was necessarily a bad worker. Um, I guess I would go with Steve Williams. That feels unfair, but... I, I thought he was the worst worker that had a lot of action here. Um, I, I mean, I think the booking's the worst thing on the show by far, uh, but just in yeah, ring. Bill I Watts gets that award. <laughs> You're not allowed to give it to Bill Watts. You can't give it to the booker. What? You have to give it to a performer on the card. Well, well, oh, I know who I'm say. Ole Anderson. He performed <laughs> on the show. <laughs> yeah, you can give it to Ole Anderson. Yeah, Ole uh, Anderson sucked ass. I, 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 I'm just going to say Jimmy Garvin because I don't like him. <laughs> well, you've stolen my uh, you've stolen my thunder there because uh, Jimmy Jam Garvin is my choice for the Billy Graham Award winner. Um, maybe, with any luck, he'll get it every single show on 1992. I think Jimmy Jam Garvin's on a winning streak here for that. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, th- uh, thank you very much, uh, Will, for appearing once That's again fine. on Where the Big Boys Play. And... Um, I guess we'll, I'll, we'll be, be, I'll be back in two years for Great American Bash '94. <laughs> and Chad, what? Uh, oh what, shit! There wasn't '94, no, was there? Yeah, yeah, you may you may not be back. Yeah. I don't know if we'll make it to Great American Bash '95. 
So <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, the will. I guess I'll for a show from '93, and I'll just say I'm going to be on it and show up one day. <laughs> and uh, Chad, what are we actually watching next? Is it another oh, Clash? Oh, yeah. You know, hey, you know, you know what show I want to do? I want to do the show with Regal Bulldog. What is that? Havoc '93. Yeah, Havoc '93. Yeah, I want to do Havoc '93 with you guys. All right. Book it, Marv. <laughs> Chad, Chad does the guest booking uh, here, so. Uh, <laughs> Book it, Chad. I'll forget. I'll forget. <laughs> and hey, I, hey, don't think, don't think that I forgot my uh, uh, that that I forgot your less than enthusiastic um, thank you from last year on the show you did after I your guest. Or my buddy Parr thanked me, and Chad Chad responded with radio silence. Wow. Uh, uh, all right. I might, I might just run in with a clash too, just to just to piss Chad off. And um, yes. Uh, so uh, we'll say goodbye. What, what are we watching next, uh, Chad? Clash twenty. Clash twenty. Right. I'm gonna guess. I'm gonna guess for Clash twenty. I'll be back. <laughs> Fans, for all of us here at WCW Center Stage, for Cowboy Bill Watts and the American Dream Dusty Rhodes, I'm Jim Ross saying good night, everybody.